Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Entertaining and informative. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. This is not revenge, right? What this is is about accountability. Michael Cohen was once former President Donald Trump's right-hand man. Now he's the star cooperator in Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg's case against Trump. In a sign of Bragg's readiness to seek an indictment, Cohen testified before a grand jury. He told reporters before entering court, I don't want to see anyone, including Donald Trump, indicted, prosecuted, convicted, incarcerated, simply because I fundamentally disagree with them. This is all about accountability. He needs to be held accountable for his dirty deeds. With an affordability and housing crisis facing the city, Mayor Adams is putting his hopes into the idea of converting empty office space into housing. I couldn't help but to reflect on just the next generation and uh, how the conversation on uh, living is just shifting. Ron was a disciple of Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan's a big reason that Mitt Romney, I'm not a big fan of Mitt Romney, lost his election. And to be honest with you, Ron reminds me a lot of Mitt Romney. So I don't think you're going to be doing so well here, but we're going to find out. But those are the facts. Early on a Tuesday morning with some Tame Impala. This is a song my son Gabriel and daughter Ava love. I tell you, get uh, New York City. Wake them up at 6.04 on your Tuesday morning back on New York's number one talk show. We are sitting friends in the morning here on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Weather uh, still not great today, still kind of rainy. But I got to tell you, I, I mean, all these snowstorms and nor'easters and all this, um, all this talk has amounted to nothing. I mean, we've gotten practically zero snow, zero all winter long. And, you know, two weeks ago, we had Janice Dean on more than once, looking at a potential for two storms. A couple of days ago, I read Nor'easter coming our way yesterday into today, and nothing going on. Not complaining, because I hate snow. I hate it. I mean, it's one thing if you're retired living in upstate New York or in Vermont or in Maine and looking out your window and looking at deer on the lawn. That's gorgeous. Don't get me wrong. But uh, living in New York City 
and walking the streets with yellow snow and duty and ice and sludge. It's disgusting. There's nothing pretty about snow in New York City. Nothing. So I'm not complaining, but um, I don't know. Maybe there is something to this uh, global warming nonsense. I, I mean, where's all the snow this year, uh, Lou? I mean, nothing. You got nothing. There is global warming. Let's go. There is? Well, you got a, you got like eight billion people in the world. You think that the world's going to stay the same with all of the I don't know. stupid I, things? I'm I not a know. fanatic, but no. I just the, don't know. It is. There's something going. Something's on. going on. Something's going on. Yeah, wake up, huh? Yeah. Stop already. Let's go. Let's go. Al Gore's no dummy. No, uh, he's, he's no dummy. That Al Gore. <laughs> yeah. I would think I put it in a lockbox, and the iceberg that's melting yeah. at a rate of two centimeters every time the uh, that 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 thing comes out of its hole, the groundhog. That would mean a more heat. So the banking uh, is still an issue today, of course. In fact, uh, there are growing calls for the Fed to pause uh, rate hikes, which is something Ron and Santa from CNBC said would happen on this show yesterday morning. Ronnie called it. He said they'll probably not raise uh, interest rates again, which they were planning on doing in an attempt to uh, to help save this. And while Ronnie said, look, don't worry, all the, the uh, depositors will get their money. Now, if you've got stock, if you've got bonds, different story. Odds are you're going to get screwed, Signature Bank and Silicon Valley Bank. But depositors will get all their money. And a lot of us said, well, that's good news. Until you find out, of course, that guess who pays for that somewhere down the road? And it's always the case. It's always us. So this is uh, not as easy as, don't worry, we got you. Somewhere down the road, like with most things, we pay for it. Even with uh, kids going to college in Sullivan County, which I think the mayor, Eric Adams, did an exceptional job of explaining away yesterday. He did. But the truth is, is that that's about $1.2 million in tax money that people like me end up paying, which I'm not all that happy about. Uh, he did uh, break ground yesterday on a new initiative, Mayor, which he talked about on this show, too, which is taking some of those vacant offices and turning that into housing. In fact, uh, we've got some of that. Let's go to that right away. Then we'll get to Donald Trump and Andrew Giuliani back in studio today. This is uh, Eric Adams. He's got the hard hat on. He's out there. He's uh, drilling away, doing all, uh, doing all the hard stuff. On site yesterday, one of these office buildings being converted into apartment space. This is uh, Mayor Adams, cut number 21, Lewis. I couldn't help but to uh, reflect on just the next generation and uh, how the conversation on uh, living is just shifting. What we have in the city is a housing crisis, a housing crisis. And the goal is to build low income, middle income, and market, and to sure up NYCHA. So it's not a one-size-fits-all. He went on with me yesterday to discuss this plan. I kind of joked around and said, if the Jets sign Aaron Rodgers... In fact, let's play this, too. This is, uh, you should have that cut in there. Eric Adams talking about uh, the possibility of the Jets signing Aaron Rodgers should be there. He admitted after the conversation he's a lifelong Jet fan. I guarantee it's not there. I only told Alec 10 times. Make sure it's in. I don't know him use it this morning, but it's not there, is it? That's fine. We'll find it. So I said, I said, if Rodgers comes to New York and wins a Super Bowl, he gets the keys to the city. And at the very least... If it's not keys to the city, maybe it'll be a key to one of these apartments 
that you're building today converting from office space. And here was the mayor's response, Eric Adams, cut number 22. What about these vacant offices that you guys are turning into affordable housing? <laughs> I know you got a press conference 11.30 this morning. Tell me about that. Uh, I think it's a great concept, a great idea. We have about 10 million square feet of real estate in our commercial uh, corridors and areas. And here's an, an opportunity where there's a match. Uh, we, we are living in a new environment post-COVID. Uh, we, we're not sure if we're going to use all the office spaces. And people are even in the spaces they are using, uh, they are downsizing uh, the square footage. And so if we have a housing crisis, uh, this, is an, uh, this is how you turn uh, lemonade out of lemons. And so we're going to look at that, and we, we're not going to leave any stone unturned when it comes down to making sure people have housing. Uh, that's uh, one of two initiatives the city started yesterday, affordable housing from vacant offices. And on Sunday, the the more space between Penn Station, Herald Square, which uh, will make it easier for tourists and pedestrians and all that stuff. But I do want to get to Trump. Uh, Andrew's here, of course. Andrew worked in Trump's office for the better part of four years. And I'm done. I'm finished. Uh, I've talked to Lara Trump 10 times, Liz Pipko 10 times, Kimberly Guilfoyle 10 times, had what's her name on the show just last week, Kellyanne Conway. Every one of these people, every one of them agree with me that going down the road of bashing, and he's bashing, there's nothing subtle about it, of bashing Ron DeSantis strategically is a stupid move by the president. Stupid. But you know what? He's going to do it because he's been told time and time again by a lot of folks in his camp, in and around him, Joseph Takapina as well, who was great on Sean Hannity last night, and he continues to do it at every opportunity. So that's it. It's over. He's going to do it. You can't change Trump's mind. That's one of the things I don't love about Trump, but at the same time, it's that type of moxie and arrogance that got him elected in the first place back in 2016. So yesterday... He made his way to Iowa, and of course, he did it again. Ron Sanctimonious and, and all that nonsense. In fact, he even went as far as saying Florida was better before Ron got there, which is completely ridiculous. And even compared DeSantis at one point to one of the biggest backstabbing Republicans in the history of the business, Mitt Romney. I mean, come on, Donnie, baby, I love you, but slow down. Here he is in Iowa yesterday slamming Ron DeSantis. Lou, this is Donald Trump. Cut number one. Ron was a disciple of Paul Ryan, who is a rhino loser who currently is destroying Fox and would constantly vote against entitlements. He would just vote against. Remember that the wheelchair over the cliffs, the Democrats used it. The wheelchair over the cliff commercial, very effective. That was about him. But Ryan, Paul Ryan's a big reason that Mitt Romney, I'm not a big fan of Mitt Romney, lost his election. And to be honest with you, Ron reminds me a lot of Mitt Romney. So I don't think you're going to be doing so well here, but we're going to find out. But those are the facts. President Trump, who again, uh, just Friday, we're talking about just four days ago, sent this text, and I've got it straight from the president's phone, to Joe Tacopino. quote, just listen to your interview with Sid, who, by the way, is fantastic, with fantastic in caps, Great interview with great in caps. Say hello to number one, Sid. That was Trump to Takapina just Friday. And I'll tell you, I would still tell it to his face. Why you're doing this, I don't know. But listen, 
He's won before. Maybe he's got the strategy down. I don't know. One more, and then we'll get to Andrew. He also did a video campaign message on Truth Social where, again, he was all over Ron DeSantis, not just in Iowa. One more, Donald Trump, cut number two. For those of you that didn't notice, Florida was doing great long before Ron DeSantis got there. People are fleeing from New York to Florida and other places because of high taxes and out-of-control crime. It's really bad, not because of the governor. Thank you, Mr. President, for doing that. But it's not because of the governor. Florida was doing fantastically. You had a governor named Rick Scott who did a very good job. Even Charlie Crist, a Democrat, did a good job, and he had very good numbers. Sunshine and ocean are very alluring. It's not too hard to work with those factors. So just remember, Florida was doing really well long before Ron DeSantis got there. He's right about that. I lived down in Boca Raton for 16 years. I went to college in Coral Gables at Miami. I've got a 40-plus year history with South Florida, and it was fine. It was. I mean, after the cocaine wars of the late 1970s, Charlie Crist was fine. He's right. Rick Scott, who's now a senator, was was good. He's right. But neither one of those guys had to deal with COVID and all the issues that Ron DeSantis had to deal with. And somehow Florida, of all the states, came out on top. That's where Donald Trump is being a bit devious and being a bit deceitful comparing the other two guys who did a fine job. He's right, even a Democrat, to what DeSantis has had to do since he took over. But again, Andrew, it looks like despite what a lot of folks feel and think, this is going to be Donald Trump's strategy. He knows the primary may be a tougher fight than the actual general election, and he's coming out guns blazing. He's not slowing down against DeSantis anytime soon. Yeah, I actually had the opportunity to have dinner with him on Sunday night at Trump's golf course in West Palm with him and Kellyanne. Uh, it was a great discussion. Uh, look, I've hinted a couple times that I don't think it's the right uh, path to be going after DeSantis, but he's doing it. I mean, he sees this as... It's worked in 2016. I'm going to do it in 2024, and I'm going to double down. And, and uh, look, if you look at the most recent New Hampshire poll, so obviously you got to look at these polls state by state. What are going to be the early states when we're talking a year from now? And the gap is opening in New Hampshire where it seems like he's opening up a bigger lead. So maybe he knows the right strategy on this. I mean, the guy is unbelievable at branding people, whether it's himself, whether it's other people. Uh, I personally think DeSantis is doing an incredible job down in Florida. I think it's one of the reasons why the former president actually moved down to Florida. You're right. Sunshine, that's never going to be an issue in terms of wanting to move people down there. But when you think about all of the freedoms that Florida has promoted, uh, it's an incredible place. But you could see he was gearing up for his Iowa speech when he got to spend a little time Sunday night. Frank Morano makes an excellent point, too, which uh, Trump uh, screwed up there. When Charlie Crist was governor of Florida... He was a Republican. Don't forget, Charlie Crist, like my cousin Norm Coleman, switched parties. Norm went from a Democrat to a Republican. Crist, Republican to Democrat. When he was the governor, he was a Republican. So both of those guys, uh, him and Rick Scott, were Republicans. But um, you're right. It is uh, widening the gap. And he won in 2016. He got over 70 million votes in what a lot of folks think was a rigged election in 2020. So who the hell am I to tell Donald Trump what to do, what not to do? But it just seems like uh, the wrong path, but uh, he won before, so we have to assume he knows what he's doing. He did, uh, and I would talk a lot about uh, the progress in Congress and how things were changing there, Andrew. This is uh, Donald Trump in Iowa yesterday, cut number three. 
I think we're making a lot of progress. I think that the that Congress is doing a very good job. Now, we have some people. Nancy Pelosi is packing. She's gone. <laughs> Getting her out is a big, that's a big step. And I think Kevin and all of the people in Congress, I tell you what, you know, that whole, people thought it was a fiasco. I think it was a beautiful thing, as it turned out. That five or six nights of voting and voting and voting and voting, I actually think that was like a cleansing action. It was a great thing that happened. And there's great unity in Congress. He said Nancy Pelosi is packing, Andrew, the one guy, and I know you agree with this because you were all over this guy last week about those uh, Tucker Carlson January 6th tapes, is the pride of Kentucky, Mitch McConnell. Trump wants to see McConnell packing as well. He just got out of the hospital yesterday. Not exactly well wishes coming from the former president. Here is Donald Trump, Lewis, cut number four on Mitch McConnell. We do have to do something about... Mitch McConnell, he's, he's a disaster. He's a disaster. He, he gets his 10 guys and they give Biden whatever they want. There's something going on that doesn't make sense. They give him whatever they want. He gets his 10, 12 guys and they vote in order to give the passage because you need the 60 votes usually. And they vote and they give him what he wants. I just cannot understand. Nobody can understand it. We got to get him the hell out. He's a problem, big problem. In the meantime, I hope he's feeling well, but he's a big problem. Well, there are your well wishes right there. It sounds like that's very genuine. I think President <laughs> Xi actually wished him well, as a matter of fact, which I think is the president that uh, McConnell cares most about, not Trump or Biden or anybody else. So I yeah. think that's the big issue. <laughs> yeah. So the president right now, uh, 46, hopefully Donald Trump does it again, becomes 45, which he was, and 47. The president right now, this imbecile, Joe Biden, was on the Daily Show yesterday, and, and I don't know who the host is. Trevor Noah's gone, and uh, Stewart's gone. It's some Indian guy. You know who he is? Uh, I don't even I know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So he goes on to tell this whopper. This is unbelievable. You have to know the generation before ours, my father's generation, Biden's father, even well before that. I mean, Biden's over 80. Mm-hmm. You know those people had zero, and I mean zero patience for the homosexual community, in lots of cases, white folks for the black community. No one's going to convince me that Joe Biden's father was completely okay with the gays and their lifestyle. Yet, Joe Biden, last night on The Daily Show, all you got to do is listen. You can watch him, too. He's, he can't get the words out because he's lying. So when you're lying, it's hard to, you know, to really say it correctly. So he tells his whole story about when the epiphany came to him when he started to realize how important it was to be tolerant of gay people. And he involves his father, who you know that generation had no patience for that. I mean, none. Take a listen to this. This is Joe Biden lying like only he can do on The Daily Show last night, cut number 13. Tell him, Joey. Exactly where my uh, epiphany was. Okay. I hadn't thought much about it, to tell you Uh the truth. And I was a... I was a senior in high school, and my dad was dropping me off. I remember about to get out of the car, and I looked to my right, and two well-dressed men in suits kissed each other. I mean, they gave each other a kiss. Please, really? And then one went, looked like he was heading to the DuPont building, and one looked like he headed to the Hercules Corporation building. <laughs> and I'll never forget, I turned and looked to my dad. He said, Joey, it's simple. They love each other. Really? It's really? simple. No, I'm not joking. Oh, of course you are. It's Goodbye. simple. They love each other. Sure they do. And it's never been 
it's, it's, it's never been. Now shut this off. So could just, you imagine 70, you know, 70 years ago, Joe Biden's father saying, hey, Joey, it's simple. They love each other. What do you think his father really said? There's no chance. I mean, zero happened. chance. There's no chance. Zero. And, and there's no chance that two guys were kissing actually right. in public at that. In public, wearing so suits, by the way. That's absolutely <laughs> I mean, it, it's just he tells these stories, and they're clearly lies. All of it, no one stops him. Like, if I'm doing that conversation, I go, Joey, baby, two men in suits publicly kissing, and your father said, oh, it's beautiful, they're in love? Joey, don't, don't look over there. Just don't <laughs> Right, don't, don't look, look exactly. Don't look, and what are those two F-words doing is exactly what the father probably said, which is wrong. Thank God we become tolerant. I'm pro-gay marriage. I'm also pro-choice. Look, But don't tell me that his father 80 years ago was like, oh, they're in love. Look how nice that is. <laughs> That's Let's pre-taped. accept them. Right? That's pre-taped by The Daily Show. They should absolutely cut that out right there as soon as they see that and look at it. Look, I'll look at my father right there and I'll say, this is a guy in the early 90s who actually was pro-civil union at a time when most Democrats were against that. They were against actually giving gays the same legal rights. Uh, and so he was a trailblazer in there. And that was in the early 90s. So don't tell me that in the 50s that Please. Biden's father was. Yeah, no, I saw that this morning. I was like, come on, Joe. But there's millions and millions and millions and millions of morons out there that go, you see that? That's why Joe's a good guy. You think Fred Trump was like that? Fred Trump was probably like, look at those queers. Joe, watch me. Don't do that. Watch yeah. me. Here, just do, do. Follow me. <laughs> yeah. 1-800-848-WABC. As always, that's the number. one 800 848 9222, Andrew Giuliani in studio. Big show coming up today. We start the guest list at 740 with the always very entertaining Bo Deedle. I know Bo took Joe Tacopina out for dinner last night before Tacopina's big appearance with Sean Hannity. We'll play some of that coming up. Uh, 840, Vicky Palladino makes her debut on this show. I saw this story in the New York Post where she was kicked off of some mental health council team because... She was critical of drag queens speaking to kids in school. And I don't know Vicky Palladino, but I got to tell you, I love that story. As far as I'm concerned, as a father of two, she's a hero. And then coming up at 9.05, one of my all-time favorites who become very, very good friends over the years, a man that should absolutely be in Monument Park. Randy Levine, if you're listening, Paul O'Neill spent all those years in Cincinnati, and Roy White, who spent his whole career with the Yankees, what was part of that transition from the Bobby Mercer days to the Reggie Jackson days is not. That makes no sense. He's got a new book out. We'll talk to the all-time Yankee great Roy White coming up at 9.05. All that coming your way on a Tuesday morning on New York's number one talk show. That's me, Sid and Friends in the Morning on Talk Radio 77 WABC. If you've had an accident, trust Gabo Law, personal injury and medical malpractice attorneys with decades of experience who will provide the attention you deserve and deliver the best possible results in the shortest amount of time. Gabo Law has recovered millions for their clients and will be able to help you. But don't take our word for it. Read all of their five-star reviews from former clients on Google, Avo, and Facebook. Call Gabo Law today at 800-560-0214 for a free consultation or email at Info at GoboLaw.com. Gobble Law, where winning is no accident. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Friends, how many of us have them? Friends. 
77 WABC. What is your pitch to future Hall of Fame Green Bay Packer quarterback Aaron Rodgers to come here and play for the Jets? Listen, I, I think Aaron is a solid player, and sometimes you have to change uh, your uh, altitude to get to the level that you want. And, you know, just sometimes, you know, you've done the best you could at a run at a particular location. It's time to move on to something new. There's many layers to life, not one layer. And so if he could come and add to the Jets' chemistry of that winning the title already and bring that to New York, I'm all for it. I'm a Jets fan. Michael Jackson albums ever off the wall. The man who actually wrote it, Quincy Jones, one of the greatest composers, producers of music history, turns 90 today. 90 years old, Lewis. 90. Quincy Jones. Damn. 90. You know, um, one of the jokes that Chris Rock did, which I saw on Saturday in his Netflix show Selective Outrage, which, again, there are two parts that our listeners will, will get crazy over when he talks about the white man complaining and bitching about being victimized, give me a break. And then he talks about how January 6th is the proof of that. If you can get through those two moments, and they're tough, they're tough, you'll like the rest. But he makes the point in Selective Outrage. He goes, so let me get this straight. You got these uh, music stations, and they got no issue playing Michael Jackson but they won't play R. Kelly. He's <laughs> got a point there. You know, both arrested for the same. Well, not even arrested. Michael Jackson, I guess, was, uh, was never really found guilty of that. He paid off about $60 million. But he said, that's selective outrage. I play Michael Jackson because his music is better, but not R. Kelly. I just wanted to send some money out. Don't make it what it's not. That's <laughs> really go. not fair. Yeah. That's not fair. I, thank you for playing one of my favorites. Go watch Chris it. Rock on Netflix. Uh, you guys will love that. I did mention that uh, Roy White, the uh, Yankee great, is coming on at 9.05. And I've had Roy on many, many times over the years. And again, Randy Levine, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pound this today. Put him in Monument Park. This guy came from Compton. Ended up playing 15 years for the Yanks between 65 and 79. And some of those were rough years. People went to Yankee games basically to see two guys play. Bobby Mercer and Roy White. That's it. And then he was apt for the transition, which was, of course, the Reggie, Thurman, Chambliss, Nettles, those teams. But he played alongside I mean, Mickey Mantle, Roger Maris, Whitey Ford, Thurman Munson, Reggie Jackson, Catfish Hunter, and many others. You know, there were two years where Roy White played every game. Even to this day, he's seventh 
on the list of games played in Yankee history, and he gets no respect from the Yankee organization. So his uh, book is out, and we'll talk to Roy. Roy also had to deal with a lot of racist issues, a lot of racism stuff. Don't forget, he started in the mid-1960s, and we were not past that at that point. So he spent his early days in different hotels than the white players. I mean, here's a lot of that Jackie Robinson story going on as well. So we'll talk to Roy coming up at 9.05. One of his former teammates, Joe Pepitone, just passed away, too. Yes. Just yes. passed away. Yeah. So another Pepitone guy who was, was uh, uh, they were kind of the, the faces of those teams between Mantle and, uh, and the uh, Bronx-burning uh, Yankees, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's really Mercer and Mercer. Uh, White. But Pepitone was a big, big personality. Pepitone was had some decent years. three all-star yeah. years. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah had some big years. And, of course, he had the hair and all that. Mm-hmm. Blown with his hair and all that. Yeah, uh, but, yeah, he just died. Yeah, he did. So we'll talk to Roy coming up at 9.05. Joe Tacopino, who was on Friday, and, again, got that uh, great text from President Trump about me and the show on Friday. He was on Sean Hannity last night, uh, Andrew, and he was talking about uh, basically the DOJ weaponizing and all the stuff you and I have talked about time and time again. But when Tacopino is on Sean Hannity, we have to play it. We have to. So uh, here it is. Here's one of the cuts. He's talking about the disgust, Andrew, in the legal community with this uh, potential Trump indictment. Joe Tacopina, courtesy of Sean Hannity and Fox News. Cut number nine. I still hold out hope that justice will prevail because there has to be and there is, in fact, a heavy dose of disgust in the legal community, in the bar with prosecutors defense attorneys, judges, that they're doing this. This is not what we do. This legal system has now been weaponized, completely weaponized. And, and you know, you could read that, that idiot, Mark Pomerantz's book, um, who, who, who violated all sort of grand jury secrecy laws, had a fiduciary duty to keep things confidential, and instead wrote a book. And if you read his book, he even said, it was amazing what he admitted there, that he was just looking for a crime to fit the person. And that's not what we do. It's not what we should be doing. And clearly here, the Manhattan District Attorney's Office has stooped to that level if they are looking at this Stormy Daniels case. Because one thing is clear, that every single legal scholar, former members of the Federal Election Committee, have opined that no crime was committed here, that there was no campaign law violation at all. And yet, Trump's former attorney, how you can trust this guy, I don't know. I mean, these networks have a lot of balls putting Michael Cohen on the air. This man went to prison. He's a felon. Michael Cohen is a felon, a scumbag. He went to prison. He's involved with Michael Avenatti and Stormy Daniels. You're not going to find a scummier threesome. And yet, there was Michael Cohen yesterday addressing the press after testifying, saying, let me tell you something. This is not about revenge. This is about accountability. Michael Cohen, this lying piece of garbage, cut number seven. What do you think the result of your testimony today, what will be the result? Can you imagine Mr. Trump being arrested? Is that what you want? No. Again, you've heard me say this many times. My goal, this is not revenge. Yeah, right. right? What this is is about accountability. I don't want to see anyone, including Donald Trump, indicted, prosecuted, convicted, incarcerated, simply because I fundamentally disagree with them. This is all about accountability. He needs to be held accountable for his dirty deeds. You know, Trump actually mentioned Cohen on Sunday night at dinner, and just, uh, it was funny, somebody asked him about him in terms of what he's doing now, and particularly this, and, and he almost kind of like laughed him off in about three seconds. I think even when Cohen was Trump's lawyer, 
he actually didn't even give him some of the most important things that he was doing because this guy, frankly, is a mental midget. And it's kind of amazing that he actually did end up passing the bar. Of course, he's trying to figure out a way out of this. And he got himself in trouble in stuff that really was not even related to President Trump. If you think about all the stuff with his father-in-law and the uh, medallions where he had major issues, was really under debt. Actually, it's a Kind of ironic segue into the SVB banks. We're not segueing in, but I'm just saying, thinking about Cohen now in in that. But uh, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> you know, Cohen is just uh, he's a complete disaster. And by the way, of course, uh, President Trump will not appear before the grand jury. Not uh, one decent attorney in the world would recommend that he does. So you can take this indictment charge. And shove it up your ass. Yeah, tackle him before he does that. Exactly. No it ain't going to happen. Uh, traffic is coming up next. <laughs> that be another T-shirt. Yeah, it's another one, right? <laughs> Take this entire Shove it up your ass. And I'll send 20 of those right to Alvin Bragg myself. You know, the, uh, the oral one, which only you've worn so far in public, I broke it out for oh. the first time. And I wore it to the New York Sports Club I work out at on uh, 33rd and Park. <laughs> so... You got it. I mean, every time I walked by, especially a female, she couldn't help but smirk, crack a smile. How can you not? Look. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to wear it again today. I just, I just enjoy watching people react. Of course. Not to the front of the shirt. All that says is Sid and Friends on ABC, but oh, certainly the back is. What a uh, nice color that is. Yeah. Can I see that? Then oh, you turn around. Right. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Oh, well, have a nice day. I'm actually upset that Anthony Barbarisi didn't make more of those. Cause, and I know that they're not necessarily up John and Margot's alley. I get that. Trust <laughs> me. But uh, the one thing about John and Margot, and I do have to say this, is that even though they don't agree with everything I say on this show, clearly, because they are like really good, classy people, and I'm a good person, but I tend at times not to be so classy. They understand that I know what I'm doing. They have since they bought this station, and uh, you don't get the ratings that I get. Enjoy the success that I've gotten when Bernie was here and since he's gone, quite frankly, without knowing what you're doing. So they really don't bother me. They don't. But uh, something tells me that if Margo saw me walking around New York City with a shirt that said that, it may uh, bother her, so I try not to wear it too often. Good. Yes, to use discretion. That's very good of you. Well, wow. I actually thought about wearing it to, uh, you know, to an event tonight. I've got a big event tonight. We're going uh, to some dinner party for actress Christina Ricci. Uh, Takapina wants to take me to the Rangers Capitals game, but oh, that's where you wear it. I got to wear it what to the Ranger game? <laughs> Hi. Yeah. I know, but I'm not going there tonight because we've been invited by Anthony Carone, who's the brother of Frank Carone. Frank served uh, for two years as a chief of staff for Mayor Eric Adams to uh, Lavo, which is a really nice restaurant here in uh, New York City Midtown, for uh, to celebrate uh, a new magazine cover of actress Christina Ricci, and was supposed to eat with Christina. So I think I'm going to go to that instead of the Ranger game. So she's the Adams family, right? Ricci, yes, she was the Adams family. Yes, uh, was she in the Adams family? I think. Yes, so. yes, think yes. Was she Tuesday? Wednesday? Tuesday? Wednesday? Wednesday? Friday? Yeah. Wednesday? Friday? You know, talking about Wednesday, the girl that plays Wednesday on the uh, Netflix show Wednesday, Wednesday. <laughs> uh, Jenny Ortega. My son Gabe was telling me for his generation, she's like Raquel Welch. I'm dating myself there. I don't know she's like Farrah Fawcett. What's this girl's name? Who's uh, Jenny Ortega? Ortega. She yeah, she's in Scream 6, oh, I've heard of which her. came out this oh, weekend, too, yeah. But she played Wednesday 
on the Netflix special. She's actually a really good little actress, and she's cute as the day is long. Traffic is coming up next. Right now it's time for the 77 WABC minicast clip of the day. My son Gabe loves them. Uh, get the whole story in under 10 New York minutes. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Today's minicast is from the other side of midnight with Frank Morano, and here he's talking about the Oscars. How about that? With movie critic Jason Konigsberg. Were there any movies um, in, in 2022 that you thought were just terrific, but which were omitted entirely from uh, any Oscar nominations? There was a couple. Uh, Barbarian, which was an excellent, excellent horror movie, a very surprising movie. But usually horror movies don't get recognized by Oscars anyway. I was kind of disappointed that Glass Onion, Knives Out, Mystery, and RRR only got one nomination yeah. each. And I'm trying to think, Crimes of the Future, the yeah. new uh, David Cronenberg movie, I thought that was excellent. But yeah. once again, Cronenberg, usually not an Oscar-type uh, director. Uh, so, yeah, there was, there was a few. Those are off the, you know, some mm-hmm. of the best ones that got zero nominations yeah. this year I was disappointed in. But not Me surprised. Too. This is Sid on Sports. Oh, my goodness! Sponsored by Fearless Boilers on 77 WABC. Justin Ellick here with your bottom of the hour sports update. Sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com to find a dealer near you. They are America's best built boilers. NFL's free agent negotiating period opened up yesterday. The Giants signed free agent linebacker Bobby Okorecki to a four-year, $40 million contract with $22 million guaranteed. Now... Out to Vegas, San Francisco 49ers quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo and the Raiders agreed to a three-year, $67.5 million deal, including $34 million guaranteed. So the Raiders fill that hole that was left by... Derek Carr. And now to the NBA, where hopefully we've inched closer to a conclusion of this John Morant debacle out in Memphis. The star guard has now entered a counseling program in Florida and remains without a timetable on a return to the NBA season. The Grizzlies continue to prioritize his desire and need to get assistance after a series of concerning incidents that culminated with him brandishing a gun at a suburban Denver nightclub on his Instagram live feed on March 4th. And looking ahead to action today and tonight, you've got your NCAA men's college basketball tournament opening up with the first four, Southeast Missouri State taking on Texas A&M Corpus Christi. And then you got Pittsburgh later on taking on Mississippi State. And local professional action tonight will see the Nets out in Oklahoma City, uh, Oklahoma City, I should say, take on the Thunder at 8 p.m. The Knicks will be out in Portland taking on the Trailblazers at 10 p.m. And on the ice... The Washington Capitals will pay the Rangers a visit tonight at 7 p.m. The Islanders are out in Los Angeles taking on the Kings at 10.30. And the Devils, they'll welcome in the Tampa Bay Lightning for a 7 p.m. puck drop as well. Here with sports, sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com to find a dealer near you. They are America's best built boilers. And I'm Justin Ellick on 77 WABC. 77 WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. That's a lot of malarkey. I hear the sound of your guitar. You know, it's still um, auctioning off the Bruce Springsteen tickets for the April 1st show at Madison Square Garden, the charity that my beautiful wife, Danielle, and I started, inspired by my son Gabriel, the Spotlight Foundation for Dyspraxia 
and DCT. We're still auctioning off those Springsteen tickets April the 1st at Madison Square Garden. This is Ghost. A couple of weeks ago, my good buddy Stephen Van Zandt was not able to perform in Dallas three shows because he came down with COVID. So did Patty Schialpa. Three members of the band in one day came down with it. Now, Bruce has it, but uh, he's okay, right? Uh, I think they say, yeah, yeah. but they missed a uh, show in Albany last night. Albany, yeah, yeah. Head over to the website this morning, folks, the Spotlight Foundation for Dyspraxia and DCD, and uh, bid for these two great seats. They're premier seats, got them from Van Zant himself. So uh, check those out. I believe right now my coworker, who is very handsome, and has spent the last week on the beach in Key West, Doug Kisler, is the highest bidder at fifteen hundred bucks, which is still a very very low price. So head on over to the website today and take care of kids like my angelic son Gabriel all over the world. Also, you guys know that on Friday we had Ayal Farage live in studio, and a week ago today, me and Andrew Giuliani in studio right now made our way to Jersey City to RPM Raceway, where both Al and Andrew kicked my ass in the go-karts. But you would agree, Andrew, that's uh, that's a heck of a place, huh? Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I would, uh, I'm going to bring my little, uh, I guess my cousin-in-law is the best way to put it, my wife's little uh, nephew over there uh, when he comes to the States next time. And, uh, the States? It was a lot of fun. Where does he live? Lithuania. Oh, he Lithuania. Lithuania. Oh, of course. Yes. Hey, right, exactly. exactly. Right, right. Exactly. So he was here on Friday, and he said, you know, we're going to start this huge campaign. And in this campaign, we're going to put up about 25 to 50 billboards all over New York and New Jersey, West Side Highway, Route 80, with your face. Curtis Sliwa gets a couple of billboards, too. So does the radio station, but I'm basically the face of the RPM Raceway campaign. And I was like, wow, that's a big deal. I've been begging for billboards for 100 years. So it turns out that Eyal was not kidding because I just received a text from my friend George. George owns the Oasis Diner on Flappish Avenue in Brooklyn where my wife and I go all the time. We love it there. And he drives in from Long Island every morning. And George just sent me this. Just seen a nice billboard by the UBS Arena, which, of course, is where the Islanders play. Just seen a nice billboard by the UBS Arena or the Cross Island Parkway. Guess who? You big guy, and you look great. George Liberato's Oasis Diner. So there's at least one up right now, right by the Islanders' home ice Cross Island Parkway, UBS Arena, and that is a very busy little section. What a great way to start. If that's not proof, RPM does speed. I don't know what is. That's pretty fast. <laughs> that was very fast. Well done there, Andrew. Nicely done. Yeah, so well, thank you to uh, AL Farage and RPM Raceway. And if you're driving this morning anywhere near Islanders Home Ice, UBS Arena, by the Cross Island Parkway, and can take a picture of that, Please send it to me, Instagram it, at Rosenberg.Sydney, at Rosenberg.Sydney on Instagram. I'd love to see it. Thank you, George, for the, um, for the quick update. Now, uh, Sunday, I guess it was, I got a text from you, Andrew, and you were playing golf with a guy who works for TD Bank, not just works, but has a very lofty position. Was and he was the CEO. He's a CEO? He was the CEO. He was. Was the CEO. And he was going to come on this morning and talk about the bank collapse, which we did a lot of yesterday with Ron and Sana. Monica Crowley will join me tomorrow. And we talked about the two banks, Signature Bank here in New York, and, of course, Silicon Valley Bank out in Silicon Valley. And the question is, will more banks fall now, too? I just saw CNN put up a list of about six banks that may be in jeopardy. 
Ron and San is hoping that's not going to be the case. It's not going to be 2008. But uh, your friend on the golf course said what? Uh, look, he he's a big believer that you need to actually reassure the markets and, and that there needed to be a backstop for those who had more than $250,000 in there. I think the thing, and this is uh, where I'm interested in probably bringing him on, either my Sunday show in a couple weeks or in the podcast to kind of dig deeper into is how much of this is political and going forward, how much are banks going to look and say, in assessing risk, are we going to actually look at the risky underlying assets or are we going to make sure we have the right connections in Washington, D.C.? So that way, if the you-know-what hits the fan, we'll get bailed out that way, this way. I think when looking you don't at need Silicon this. Valley you, you, Bank... You don't need this guy to give me the answer to that. I'll tell you right now, the answer to, is yes on yeah, both. But, but yes, also then, both. how does that, how does that then... Uh, assess risk going forward. For so, as somebody who is interested in investing, right? How are you going to assess risk if that's the case going forward? Because there could be an arbitrage here yeah. to look at. Yeah, no, it's it's a good question. They're both good questions, and it is a bit scary. And risk is always scary to begin with. But don't you worry, Andrew Giuliani, because Joe Biden and his administration they got it covered. <laughs> they saved it. Yes. They saved it. Him and Corn Pop. That's right. The quick action of his administration, the banking system is just fine. Lewis, this is the imbecile in chief. Cut number 17. I want to briefly speak about what's happening in Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. Today, thanks to the quick action of my administration over the past few days, Americans can have confidence that the banking system is safe. Your deposits will be there when you need them. Mm. Small businesses across the country, the deposit accounts at these banks can breathe easier knowing they'll be able to pay their workers and pay their bills. And you know who agrees with Joe Biden? You know who actually said he's right? It was because of him and his administration that the banking system is just fine. (laughs) The corrupt governor of New York, the only person that makes Andrew Cuomo almost look godly, is Kathy Hochul, and here she is extolling the virtues of the imbecile-in-chief, Kathy Hochul, cut number 18. I'm very grateful to the Biden administration for their swift action. We are in communication all weekend long. They understood the need that we had here in New York to ensure that Signature Bank was also on the list of those that received this, this, uh, these additional protections because they saw that A run on a regional bank could pose a great risk to our stability. This was what the level of concern was over the weekend, that people this morning waking up and deciding to take their money out of a bank because of uncertainty could lead others to flee regional banks, and that would create incredible instability in a sector of the banking community that we think is particularly important. Yeah, so when something goes wrong, of course, somebody has to take blame. And the beauty about the Biden administration is... No matter what goes wrong, the war in Ukraine, inflation, any issue going on in the United States, no matter what goes wrong, there's one five-letter word that seems to explain it all away. You want to take a guess? You got it. Trump, cut number 16. We must get the full accounting of what happened and why those responsible can be held accountable. In my administration, no one, in my no one is above the law. And finally, we must reduce the risk of this happening again. 
During the Obama-Biden administration, we put in place tough requirements on banks like Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. Yeah, it really worked. Including the Dodd-Frank law to make sure that the crisis we saw in 2008 would not happen again. Unfortunately, the last administration rolled back some of these requirements. I'm going to ask Congress and the banking regulators to strengthen the rules for banks to make it less likely this kind of bank failure would happen again. Look, this is obvious, and other people have said this This isn't an original idea by me, but it's worth repeating. Um, If this was a bank that serviced, let's say, Texas Oil or something like that, there's no way in a million years that this bank would get bailed out. But because these are the cronies that the Biden administration ends up depending on for campaign donations – for that many of the people in the White House right now will depend on four jobs. Of course they're going to bail them out. Of course they're going to do this. And sadly, as you said earlier in the show, Sid, it's going to be us that's going to be paying for it. It's going to be those people that have Wells Fargo accounts, that have city accounts, that are going to be actually seeing an up in their fees in the future because those insurance numbers have gone up. So it's another, another sadly... Uh, you could say inflationary measure on those good-paying taxpayers. Could not have said it better. Bang! Andrew Giuliani. That wraps up hour number one. Big hour number two about to come your way, which includes Bill O'Reilly's morning message and the always entertaining Bo Dietl. Fresh off a big dinner with Joe Tacopina, and he's got a lot going on. Hour number two of New York's number one talk show, Sid and Friends in the Morning. About to come your way, you have to know him, with the news. The digital dollar could give the feds control of your money. Get the digital dollar report. Call 1-800-862-6970 and also receive a $1,000 credit from Priority Gold to protect your money. Or just go to digitaldollarreport.com. Please note the information provided does not constitute financial or investment advice. Oh, you're my best friend. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. From my friends. 77 WABC. This ain't a song for the broken hearted. Forty years ago today, on this date, March 14th, 1983, Bon Jovi, a band that bridged the divide between heavy rock and pop, forms in Sayreville, New Jersey, taking their name from lead singer John Bon Jovi, 
The group went on to sell 34.5 million albums in the U.S., while their fourth album, 1988's New Jersey, broke a record for a hard rock album by producing five top ten U.S. singles. Forty years ago today, Bon Jovi was born. Now, uh, stories we will get to, which include Eric Adams, the mayor, was on with me yesterday. Did a really nice job. It's on for 20 minutes. We discussed a variety of topics. He wants two more shelters. We'll get to that. More of the banking stuff. Trump ripping DeSantis again in Iowa yesterday and on Truth Social. But here's my uh, soapbox moment. I am a guy that really, really believes that the death penalty needs to be in every state in this country. I am an enthusiastic supporter of the death penalty. And I know full well that if you have it, some innocent person may die. And this is going to sound really callous and insensitive. I don't care. Oh, Sid, what if it's your son, Gabriel? What if it's your father, Harvey? Well, yeah, then I'd be upset, stupid. Anytime you personalize anything for anyone, yes, that person is going to be upset. But you don't make decisions for the greater good based upon an anecdotal hurt. Of course, I'd be upset. I'd be destroyed. I'd be angry. I'd want to kill somebody. But you don't make decisions based on the anecdotal hurt. You base decisions on the greater good. So I remember 2017, the Rosenbergs, Ava was still home, not in college in Europe, and Gabe and me and Danielle were celebrating Halloween. And we lived at 10 Hanover Square, which is right by the Wall Street area, right by the South Street Seaport, not far from where I live now, me and Andrew in Battery Park. It's actually called FIDI, the financial district, a couple blocks away, believe it or not, from where George Washington had the very first White House by Franz's Tavern in the Five Die section. And at the time, the, there was a movie, it was called It. And it was a really horrifying movie about a clown who lived in the sewer system and would have kids walk towards the sewer and drag them down and kill them in very gory and graphic fashion. It was called it. It was the sequel to The Honeymoon or so. That was Ed, Nor- that was Ed Norton? Same thing. I guess. Okay. You're all over it. You, you got it. Money. Bang. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Georgie was the lead character, and he wore a uh, yellow raincoat. So that, I remember this like yesterday, Andrew. So that year, Gaby wanted to be Georgie. And Danielle and I went out and bought him a yellow raincoat. Now, Ava... This is funny because you live right there. She spent her time that year in 2017. She was already older, 13, 14 years old, trick-or-treating out by Stuyvesant High School Mm -hmm. with her friends. Right where I live. Exactly. So it was me, Danielle, and Gabe. And it was a rainy day, kind of miserable. But we walked up and down the South Street Seaport, and he was dressed. And I remember one kid walked over and said, hey, you're Georgie. And Gabriel was so excited because he was deathly afraid no one would know who he is. Wearing, you know, like a yellow raincoat. And somebody figured it out. He was so happy. And we became aware that day that some terrorist, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, I don't know at this point, drove down the West Side Highway during that day and killed eight people in the most horrifying, heartless fashion. 
Eight people dead, other people mangled, laying on the streets, the West Side Highway, Halloween, New York City, screaming in pain if they weren't dead at the top of their lungs. And this animal who came here and did that was sentenced to life in prison. And I'm sorry. I go back to Tsarnev. You know, he was actually found on my birthday, April the 19th, bleeding in a boat just outside of Boston when him and his brother set up those bombs at the marathon. And this year, April, will be the 10-year commemoration of that. And that was horrendous. Then they killed a cop, don't forget, the Thursday night after the marathon. I mean, they were real America haters, also terrorists trained in Chechnya. And I remember Rolling Stone magazine had a picture of Tsarnev on the cover. And they made this kid look like a cherub, like any decent American grandkid. Not the murderous, terrorist piece of trash that he still is. And he's still in prison, and there's taxpayer money coming from Sid Rosenberg, Andrew Giuliani, Lou Ruffino, well, maybe not Phil, paying for this kid to live. And I'm tired of it. I'm tired of paying for Nicholas Cruz, who walked into Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, one day with a gun and killed 19 innocent, beautiful people. I'm tired of it. Okay? I, I don't, uh, I'm not Catholic. I'm not Christian. I don't believe in Jesus. If you do, great. I don't live my life by a book written thousands and thousands of years ago. I want revenge. If you go out and you kill somebody, and the evidence is overwhelming, you die. Nice and easy. You die. And then you actually allow people like me, bloodthirsty, sick bastards, to pay for it on pay-per-view and watch it. I don't want to see Mike Tyson fight again. I don't want to see Conor McGregor fight again. I want to see this terrorist put to death, and I want to watch it. Naked. It's enough. Bring back the death penalty. How this guy didn't get it. I said to myself this morning, what is the criteria? He didn't kill enough? So if he killed 15 people instead of eight, he would have gotten it? How do they make that decision? Not enough people died? Not enough people lost their legs or arms? You kill in those numbers, you die. Bottom line. What, what, what is so hard to figure out, Andrew? Look, I'm a, I'm a Christ-fearing American, and, and I believe in Jesus, but I said this on the campaign trail. When you talk about uh, exceptional situations like this, then the death penalty should absolutely be an option. I mean, I think what it does is it just handcuffs a state when it's not, and frankly, the consequences of this, like you said, we're going to be paying for this guy for the rest of his life. Uh, this guy's an animal, just like the guy up in Boston is just like anybody who's gone into a school and, and shot a school up. You think about even the guy in Florida, the fact that he did not get the death penalty. And no. we talked about this a few weeks ago. Nicholas Cruz is horrifying. Terrible. Yeah, I mean, it's horrifying. And this this animal in Idaho that wanted to live out the dream of maybe completing the perfect crime and stabbed to death. I mean, this wasn't a gunshot to the middle of your head, your head mm-hmm. where you died instantly. This guy stabbed these beautiful people, not that it matters, but these beautiful young girls and this guy repeatedly over and over and over and over again, and he's going to get warm meals, play ping pong, watch television, 
read the paper so I can read in 40 years that he found Jesus and now he's okay? This David Berkowitz, this scumbag son of Sam, now he's okay because he found Jesus? I don't care. Neither do the parents of all those kids in Queens and Brooklyn back in the 1970s that went out to kiss their boyfriend in the car and ended up dead. We don't care if you find Jesus years down the road. We don't care. It is disgusting here in New York City. That was an awful day. Only because my kid was trick-or-treating and he was scared. He was, he was excited initially at the outfit, Georgie, the kid recognized him, and then he was scared. Mommy, Daddy, what if somebody drives here now and does that again? Yeah, you think even, too, I mean, this is a very different story, but right in the exact same location, right before Election Day on the gubernatorial campaign, uh, I think in October, late October, there was a rape not too far away from where all these people oh, yeah. got mowed down. Yeah. And you look at that area, one of the reasons why it's so attractive is because it's one of the safest yeah. areas of New York City. So Yeah, but that so guy raped a couple see. of girls there. Yeah. He, in yeah, fact, Danielle no. used to run that every day, and he raped a couple of girls there. My wife and Grace walked by yep. multiple times a week. That's the pier down by the pier. Yeah, yeah. Pier yeah. 25. They found that guy also. Yeah. Um, and he didn't kill anybody, so... He should spend the rest of his life in prison. Although, you know, you say he didn't kill anybody. You find me a rape victim, and that girl's dead. Yeah. She's alive. Her body, you know, her heart is beating, but she's basically dead. Yeah. What about removing that guy's genitals? That's fine. Right? Uh, with a, rape, a butter knife. Anybody who with commits a, butter a rape. Knife. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Remove the genitals. Yeah. Don't make it easy. Butter knife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's time, folks. This This idea that we are better than that. We're better than that. We're, we're not that type of society. Uh, you got to stop. You got to. You can't be that stupid and naive. We're not better than that. We are that type of society. We absolutely are. You can sit in church all day long. You can give Joel Osteen every penny you make. There's not a person alive on this earth today who hasn't had at least one homicidal thought. Not one. And I can't think of a better, better way to exact it than if somebody goes out there and kills a bunch of innocent people, in this case, walking or biking on a Halloween day in New York City. The death penalty, folks, that's what we need. Every state all over this country, I don't want to pay anymore for these animals to live another day, another second. And Andrew Giuliani clearly feels the same way. 1-800-848-WABC, one 800 848 92-22. I wonder how Bo Dito feels. This guy arrested the guys that murdered, raped, and carved crosses into nuns' chests. Those guys deserve the death penalty as well. If you can kill them twice, do it twice. Bo Dito will join us at 740. Vicky Palladino makes her debut on my program. She's coming up at 840. Glad you're having her on. She is the most dynamic elected official in New York City. I know you like her. I I know. And she'll be on your podcast later on today, too. And then we'll talk to all-time Yankee great, a good buddy of mine, Roy White. His new book is out. All that and more. Keep it right here. An exciting Tuesday edition of Sid and Friends in the Morning with me, Sid. Giuliani's here as well. And we'll be back after John Bon Jovi and these short messages. It's my
Hey, I'm Mike Slater from the podcast Politics by Faith, oh, filling in for the great Bill O'Reilly. Stand by for the O'Reilly update. Mike Slater filling in for Bill O'Reilly. On this Tuesday morning, I am thinking about the Oscars. No one else is thinking about the Oscars because almost no one watched the Oscars. Did you know, less than 10 years ago, 44 million people watched the Oscars. This year, 16 million. So why do so few people watch them? Because it's obvious these people hate you. Rain Wilson, of all people, he was Dwight in the office. He tweeted yesterday, he said, I do think there's an anti-Christian bias in Hollywood. As soon as the David character in The Last of Us started reading from the Bible, I knew he was going to be a horrific villain. Could there be a Bible preacher on a show who is actually loving and kind? No, because they hate you. You made them rich and they hate you. And over time, enough people are going to catch on. Enough people are going to agree with Hugh Grant, who did a red carpet interview at the Oscars, and it was one of the most difficult to watch red carpet interviews ever. The poor lady said, what's your favorite thing about the Oscars? Um, no, nothing really. Well, are you excited about anybody winning? No, not, not really. Okay. Uh, well, what are you wearing? My suit. Oh, okay. Was it fun to be in the glass onion? I was in it for like three seconds. Okay, thanks, you. <laughs> oh, my God. That's it, though. That's about how most Americans feel. I guess 16 million people care, but hopefully soon that'll just get down to zero. I'm Mike Slater from the Politics by Faith podcast. This has been the O'Reilly Update, Morning Edition. See you tonight. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. Once again, at the risk of upsetting my dear friend Bill O'Reilly. When I say dear friend, you guys have no idea how close me and O'Reilly have gotten. I mean really close. I even got my team normal apparel at the house this week. But I've been saying for years, when he goes on vacation, he puts on this guy Mike Slater. And maybe Chan's going to get mad, maybe John, I don't know. But I'm telling you, I don't care because I put the show above everything else. Outside of my wife and kids, this show is everything to me. You can't put this jackass on the air. He's awful. He's horrible. I don't need Pete Morgan or Johnny Tobacco to send me that text. I've been saying it for two years. When O'Reilly's on vacation, he's allowed to take vacation. The guy's great. We get big ratings. He's the most important guest on this station. When he goes on vacation, play music. I don't care what you do. Don't play that guy anymore. So whoever's in charge of the O'Reilly segment, then you can yell at me all you want. I don't care. I don't like doing bad radio. I don't. And I try not to do bad radio. And I don't do bad radio. You give me people sometimes that do bad radio, and it pisses me off. You know, I must have the same nonsense. I must have gone on vacation and have Mike Gunzelman fill in. Or even Connor and uh, Bernie on Fridays. And then I hosted it one time, and, and they got 9,000 emails how great it was, and I never hosted that show again. Because he didn't want to deal with that. This is a, an old shtick that these guys do. They go on vacation, they put on somebody who's not very good. So not have to worry when they get back about all the emails from folks who thought the fill-in may have been better. 
Maybe that's the motivation, maybe not, but you can't put that guy on the air, God damn it. I've set up for two years already. Did you say play music instead? I don't care what you do. How's that, how that going to work? I, I don't care. Bill O'Reilly presents the Simulcast Lennon Mike on WOR. I don't care what you do. <laughs> you, you run the risk of, 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 uh, of getting uh, less listeners with Mike Slater than anybody in this. The guys, you, do you even know what he talked about just now? Well, yeah, we, we listened to it. Yeah, what was it about? It was about uh, <laughs> Hugh Grant's Oscar speech. Or not speech, his interview, which... Well, I just heard Sid yelling that during the whole thing. Yeah, once I heard his voice, I'm like, you got to... Because I know I had this conversation. I'm like, don't put this... And boom, there he is. I, you know what is I, I say stuff, and nobody listens to me. Right, nobody. I, I did nobody ex- listens to me. I did explain. You know why I get great? Because okay. there's nobody who knows more about radio than me. There's nobody. Nobody. Not a host, not a, not a general manager, not a sales manager, not an owner in this city that knows more about radio than me. Not one. Mike Slater. The hell was that? <laughs> That's, it's, it's my show. It's on the Sid and Friends in the Morning show. We There's... don't know until it hits the Put air. him on Bo Snurdly's show. <laughs> or go <laughs> Kelly or somebody. Why am I trying to talk to you? Yeah, say it. I'm sorry. I'm what? not saying no, it. No, say it. Yeah, right. what? You, no one knows more. Nobody knows it's him until it gets on the air. I'm not blaming you. You're saying, why is he getting on the air? He's getting on the air because we don't know until it hits the air. Is Dennis Green still the guy that runs? I don't even know if he does it. It's I don't a, know. It's a brilliant strategy by it O'Reilly, is. too. It's like, now we need him. Now he gets on the now air. Now we need him. Like, thank God Bill O'Reilly's back. It's... I know that. It's, it's, a, a it's, the oldest, it's the oldest game in the book. Let me find somebody who sucks when I'm away. So as much as they love me, they love me even more. I, see, I don't care who goes in for me. I don't care if you put on Howard Stern and Sean Hannity and Andrew. You can put three of them in the same studio. It doesn't matter to me because I know this. 20 hours a day I may struggle, but four hours a day there's nobody better. Nobody. So I don't worry about that. These other guys, Mike Francesa used to be scared to death if I felt in for him. I mean scared to death. He actually walked into Mark Jonas' office one day and said, Sid is having people call in and say, I miss you, just to get back at this station. That is a psycho. And I love Mike. And he may be the greatest of all time, but that's how fragile some of these big radio stars' egos are, believe it or not. Well, anyway, how are you feeling, Edgy? Okay. Yeah, I'm good over here. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> you, I, I guess I'll look see at me if like I'm, I'm crazy. It or not, and I'll be able to assess <laughs> my talent, whether or not I'll be filling in whenever. Oh, I, I just put you in there. Vacation. I put you in the same boat as Howard Stern and, and uh, I know, Sean Hannity. I know. That's I, pretty I good. Felt, I felt pretty good. I yeah. felt pretty good over here. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care, but you just you can't do that. Don't do it again. I, I won't do it again. Okay. I'll never play the damn Don't do thing it again. again. If I hear his voice tomorrow, I'm walking out. Where do you think Mike Slater lives? Where are you going to go? San Diego. He San says Diego. it every time. Yeah, he says it every time. Hi, he does? He may be the nicest guy in the world. He may give more money to the the, 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 the Jamaica-Wish Foundation than anybody on earth. You I don't know. know why I didn't Jamaica know Jamaica-Wish? I didn't, I didn't know because I don't listen to him. That's why hey, I didn't Jerry. know. It. Yeah, I don't know. The Jamaican-Wish Foundation? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Be quiet. We'd like to thank Mike Slater for his incredibly generous donation uh, of $500,000. <laughs> and we wish him all the best as he continues to fill in for Bill O'Reilly. Okay, fine. <laughs> we nobody, nobody's disputing that he's terrible. We know he's terrible. So why we play it? I, that's we, a, I if got, we know I he's terrible, to you six times. What are you, what are you not understanding? Well, somebody at this station knows should know that it's him. Correct. I agree so with if that. we all agree okay. it's terrible, that's why right. do we do terrible radio? Oh. It's a very simple question. There's enough stuff throughout the week that I question <laughs> as it is. You know that. 
that I find to be almost terrible radio. There's enough stuff. <laughs> so we know this is already terrible for years. I thought this is very well documented. <laughs> right. Shut God up. This whole yeah. But it's getting, by, it's getting by us. He's got the perfect plan. Yeah. Well, it, at least this uh, the horrible radio spawned some great radio afterwards. Well, yeah, this, this well, thanks to us. Right. That's because Sid's here, and he, nobody knows more. That's Thank it. You, I'm Louis. telling you right Thank now. You. That's but why. We, we, you he cannot can, walk out He tomorrow. can take a walnut and make it a walnut salad. <laughs> <laughs> I know radio like Vicky Palladino knows how to run a uh, city council. There you what, go. What do you say? She's the most dynamic. Dynamic oh. elected official, maybe in the state of New York. I always say New York City, but maybe in the state that's of New a York. Big, that's a big statement because you like Stefanik a lot, too, I know. Yes, so her and Stefanik in the state, yeah. I would say. But well, I mean, why is she so – I mean, I, I have to admit, because, I don't know much about her because right. I'm, I'm, I was in the jo- Joanne Ariola camp years mm-hmm. ago, and I heard there was some type of little war. Right. So I stayed away from Palatino yeah. for years. Curtis, my friend uh, Lynn yeah. Hort, oh, you got to bring her on. And then I saw the story about the drag queens. I'm like, she's a real hero. But what is so great about her? I, I think really because not only does she have the pulse – of the community, but she's not she's she's willing to get out there and say it. Mm. Uh, I think there are other members who were elected who are a little bit more. Well, I don't know if I should say this about drag queen story hour and Republicans that are like that, too, yeah. where Vicky comes in and says, this is ridiculous. This is child grooming. This is not appropriate. And I'm going to stand up for my constituents. And that's why I think she's the toughest elected official in the city. And one of the toughest in the state. Yeah, listen, I'm starting to buy into it. She'll make her debut on this show coming up at 840. Uh, we got Bo Deedle coming up next, then Vicky Palladino, then all-time Yankee great Roy White, and uh, 725 tomorrow, Mike Slater. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Lou Rufino continues to kick major ass his music selection on your morning drive here in New York City. Like this next guest does, man, he's just the best. Better part of two decades as one of the toughest cops, if not the toughest, in the history of the NYPD. Evidenced by the name of his movie, One Tough Cop, One Tough Podcast. He's just tough. But he's also a great guy, loving, loyal. He's turned into a tremendous actor. I say this every time I mean it. I mean, he stole The Irishman from De Niro and Pacino. All the movies he was in, Wolf of Wall Street, Goodfellas. He's in Blue Bloods now, Gravesend, Godfather of Harlem. He's uh, he's a great actor, but he's just a real loyal guy. And he's uh, become uh, very, 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 very close with me and Danielle. Danielle loves him, too. In fact, Danielle's got a bunch of pictures in her law office in uh, Garden City. And uh, most of the pictures, Bo is in them. Bo, Margo, me, Danielle, at different events over the years. He's family. Here he is, the toughest cop ever, our friend Bo Deedle. Good morning, Bo. Good morning. Before I start agreeing with you, which I agree with you with everything you say, all <laughs> I can tell you is death penalty, yes, yes, yes. I knew it. And before, before we go into that, I got to talk about a dear friend of mine who passed, 
Joe Pepitone, one of the great Yankees of all times. He died at 82 years of age. Joe Pepitone's brother, Vinny Pepitone, worked for me for years. I spoke to him yesterday. He moved out to Kansas City with his daughter for about two months, and then he passed away. Now, you know, Joe... By by the way, uh, Roy White is coming on with me at 9.05 this morning. He's got a brand-new book out, White, one of the great Yankees, between 65 and 79, and took part, as you know, Bo, in that Yankee transition from the days of him, Bobby Mercer, and the aforementioned Joe Pepitone to the days of Reggie and Thurman and Nettles and Chambliss. So they played together, so I'm sure Roy will talk a little bit about Pepitone coming up at 9.05 as well. Joe Pepitone was a great Yankee, a great human being. And I don't know if you remember, whenever there was a problem, when Imus had problems, I would send uh, jo- uh, Vinnie Pepitone, yes. who's like 6'3", and Jimmy the Wags, another guy 6'3". Put it this way, when they walked into somebody's office and tried to ask some questions, <laughs> there was no more problem when we would send <laughs> Jimmy the Wags and, and, and Vinnie Pepitone. They were like my two Luca Brassis. They were they're the best. Now, let's, let's get right into it. So last night... I was having, I had dinner with the, I think he's the, the greatest lawyer there is, hands down, Joe Takapina. I'm sorry, you you had to watch him on Hannity last night, which I watched it when I got home, and he just was, he's like a surgeon that cuts through, and uh, we were out with this big real estate guy, Patrick Carroll, as I didn't, he had to run over to Hannity, they had to do it live. And I'm going to tell you something. The way he spoke about this D.A. Bragg and what he's doing and how the country's being weaponized like this and his selective enforcement for what they want, it's all politicized. And it's just it no more than a misdemeanor. This fool is taking a federal statute, Bragg, and he's trying to now make it a felony. But excuse me, Mr. Bragg, what about the people that are out there murdering people? What about the people that are getting shot, you big, fat Ooh, well, Bo, where, where's Kathy Hochul on this? Or even Eric Adams stepping up? Where, where are they? I don't hear them at all talking you about Bragg at all. You don't hear anything. And then all of a sudden, like I said, this is not from campaign finance. He's trying to turn it around and make his own law. law and nobody's held or holding him back. What are we going to do? We're going to go to the attorney general, Garland, that other moron. Our country is like what is going on in the toilet bowls right now and no one is taking control of it you can't go who are you going to go to to the attorney general he's a bigger fool than everyone is and it's just the whole country's going in the wrong way and that leads me right away to watching the oscars the other night now i'm a member of screen actors guild like you said did you get to vote on anything Sid? no no all i know they got this the academy Members of the Academy, who are these members? Why don't they have (laughs) actors vote for actors, directors vote for directors, and all of us be able to vote? So this best best picture, everything, everywhere. So what I did was I never heard of the damn thing. So I turned it on in between the Oscars. I started watching it for a half an hour, and I had to shut it off. What a what a moronic movie. And this is the best we got. Hey, you had All Quiet on the Western Front, one of the great movies of all time, and Top Gun. These are movies. And if I have to look at Ashley Graham in her underwear interviewing somebody else, I'm going to throw up. Ashley, <laughs> put some I mean, mean, by the way, but to your point, even Steven Spielberg, who's uh, not exactly conservative, he's he's as liberal as they come. Even Steven Spielberg admitted uh, months ago that Top Gun 2, Maverick with Tom Cruise, uh, Cruise, quote unquote, saved the movie industry. I love that movie. 
Yeah. Well, you know what? That's why we got to bring back the death penalty for things like this. Because <laughs> I, I, I think I'm blocking you're, the box. <laughs> you're so right. You know, and you know what, Mr. Giuliani, a lot of people don't remember. My mind is getting older, but I remember. And I'm talking about walking into a house on 1080 Liberty Avenue in the 75 precinct, the precinct that my friend Curtis says that don't have murders. How about 10 dead, Curtis? 10 dead, including eight children under the age of 12. Walk in there and see all these children, little boys and girls, three, four years old, shot in the head, dead, dead. This animal went in there, gunned down. He systematically gunned them down. And you know what happened? You know where he is now? He's probably the mayor of Cincinnati or one of the <laughs> He's out of jail. And this guy, what he did, and the jury of morons in Brooklyn, yes, the jury of morons in Brooklyn came back and said because he was high on cocaine, he didn't know what he was doing, the poor fella. And now he's out. And this man, those little kids will never see Santa Claus. They'll never see. They'll never get older. And this, yeah, right. You have to get a mad dog. What do you do with Sid? You shoot a mad dog. Right. You don't let him keep fighting. And then that comes to another of the most heinous crimes my eyes saw when they had this nun in a convent and these two animals came in there. They beat her up, raped, sodomized her, carved 27 crosses, put a broom inside of her, urinated and left her for dead. And these animals, I think one of them, uh, it might be a deputy uh, uh, commissioner or something right now. They're all out of jail. How do you think my heart feels, and especially these cop killers that assassinate these cops, and they're all out, they give them all money, and it's, you're right, Sid, I mean, there's going to come a time when everyone's going to throw their hands up and say, enough is enough, the way we're going, from the Oscars on down, and then we have Kathy's trying to talk now, Snaggletooth is trying to say, oh, excuse me, I'd like to say something, I, I'm not going to pass your budget because you don't want to look at bail reform, and you know what they do? This this little this little creep, this speaker, this little punk, Carl Hesty, you know what he says? Well, we're not going to let you do that. They're holding her now hostage from her now passing the budget. They will not let her. Oh, we need some evidence of that bail reform. I'll show you the damn evidence. Put me in, in up in Albany. I'll show you the evidence. I've actually, is- I've actually seen Bo Deedle, Andrea Stewart Cousins, more than once on yeah. TV with that racist Errol Lewis on New York One, yeah. making the argument and using some bogus statistics that, yeah. um, that no, the bail reform and, and uh, all this stuff uh, is not uh, the right way to go. Uh, so she's actually made that argument based on some bogus statistics. I don't know where she got them from, no, but no, they this, do try. This is, re- this is ridiculous, and the statistics are there, and that's end of story. Now I looked a little deeper, and we look at uh, Hevesy here, little Carl, little Carl, little Munchkin. Hi, Carl. Oh, you raised what? $48 million in campaign contributions from the teachers, all these unions. They're giving you a lot of cash, you little guy. I, I, I get so angry. I got to watch, my, watch my, my words. But this little punk there, $48 million. And you talk about pay for play. This, makes, this guy makes Big Bird look like he's teasing. That's all they're up there. And Stuart Cousins with her wraparound scarf stand. I like to take that scarf and swing her around on it. All they want to do is they don't care about our minority children who are being gunned down. They don't care about our minority people in New York City who are being robbed every day, assaulted. Come on. You want the evidence? The evidence there, you 
fools. And I just, I, I just watch this and listen. And it's a very depressing thing because I see your frustration. Shit, I know you a long time, but that's why you're the best. You express the frustration that people are afraid to say. And you say it, and you want to know something. That's why you are the best, Sid. And I'm not going to suck up to you. You know how I feel about (laughs) you. But keep doing what you're doing. And when they tell you too much, then you tell them too much? Well, I'm not going to do this show if it's too much because people want to hear you. People want to hear you. And now all of a sudden, even in the state of Connecticut, beautiful Connecticut, now all of a sudden they've taken the crime victims there. They're releasing people who were committed murders and they're cutting their sentence down by 67 years. They just keep on doing this. And right now, and then you pick up and you watch TV. I saw a thousand uh, Alejandros coming across the border. Nobody's stopping them. <laughs> Nobody's stopping them. They're running across the border. And then all of a sudden, this moron Mallorca. Where, why is he not dismissed? This is a total... Well, they're going to. I mean, Kevin McCarthy is going to try to impeach him. But you do understand, yeah. I know you know this, Bo, that they're actually blaming this, this latent migrant push that you're talking yeah. about. They're actually blaming that on the cartels, not Joe Biden and the administration, which, of course, deserves the ultimate blame. Well, well, well our president, Joe Biden, he's got, he got an idea. Here's what his idea is. Let's hire 87,000 uh, uh, IRS agents, give them guns, these fools, give them badges, and let them be his own police department to go after guys like you, go after Christians that don't believe in abortion, and that's going to be his uh, army. But, okay, wait a second, wait a second. The president did say something. Oh, we should add 300 border security guards also. So 87,000 tax people with 300 border guards. This man is a psychopath. Go to, go to Mallorca. Go to the vice president. Just go to the attorney general. This is like a gang. It's like the Star Wars scene at the bar. That's who we hired. And that's exactly what it's all about. Just think about this. 87,000 morons that are going to look in your pocket, tell you what you, you're working your nuts off. I'll say it. You're working your balls off, and you got to have a guy breathing down. You don't have a receipt for this, Sid. You're not going to get credit for it, Sid. This is where it's going to go, buddy. And I'm telling you right now, it's only going to get worse. And I'll tell you one more thing. I just pray that your friend and Joe's friend and my former friend, but he's still my friend, I just hope that he could become more compassionate and back up a little bit. And you know what? There might be a, a little glimmer of light for me to support him. And you know what I'm talking about. No, I, I know. Listen, I, I know you like him. And I know you guys have been close for a long time. And yeah. when you talk about electability, I understand where you're coming from. You didn't just yeah. jump on Trump for no reason. I get it. And look, he's not going to give you what you want. I mean, even in Iowa yesterday, he spent more time crushing DeSantis, which is ridiculous, than talking about why he can save the country. He just can't help himself. Well, yeah, but he's, he's got to stop with DeSantis. Enough. All right? Just tell us. He's not going to. He's not going to, Bo. And also, I know. And, and you know and what? He's actually uh, opened up a lead in, in some of these early states, so yeah. he's but now Mr. getting Mr. the positive Mr. reinforcement on it. Mr. Giuliani, all I said to him, son, is please Back off, back it up with with McCain. McCain was a real American hero. You don't call him a loser, please. And you know what? He can't do that. And one more thing. Who was that fool with the wedding uh, uh, veil at the Oscars? That idiot that blocked out five people in back of it. Her name was Teen? I don't know who that is either. I don't know who it was. I don't. Was, <laughs> I, I saw a picture of that. The singer. Fly net. But I'm going to tell you one more thing, real strong. 
We are going in the wrong direction. Sid, please, let's continue to speak out because we're going right into the toilet bowl. Uh, listen, I, I agree with you a thousand percent. I know you had a great dinner with Joe Tacopino last night. He texted me when he left, said he had a wonderful time on his way to uh, do Sean Hannity. We played a couple of clips already this morning from Tack and Sean Hannity. And forget about me, Bo, you. You are the guy that needs to keep talking, whether it's 740 every Tuesday with me or live in studio every Thursday, 905 with me. There is nobody better than you, Bo Deedle. I love you. Great job again today. I'll see you in a couple of days, buddy. Thank you. All right, my friend. And remember, keep punching, Sid. Yeah. Keep punching. <laughs> you got it. There he is, the toughest cop in the history of New York and the most loyal and best friend a man could ever have, the great Bo Deedle. Two hours in the books. Sid Rosenberg, Andrew Giuliani, and the crew from Sid and Friends in the Morning. Lots more to do. Noam's going to stop by. Plus, making her debut on the program, Vicky Palladino, an all-time New York Yankee great with a new book out, Roy White, the second half of the Tuesday edition about to come your way. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. She's all laid up in bed with a broken heart. While I'm drinking Jack all alone in my local bar. And we don't know how, how we got into this mad situation. Only doing things out of frustration. Trying to make it work, but man, these times are hard. She needs me now, but I can't seem to find the time I got a new job now on the unemployment line And we don't know how How we got into this mess is a God's test Someone help us cause we're doing our best Trying to make it work, man, these times are hard But we're gonna stop by drinking old cheap bottles of wine Shit talking up all night same things we happen for a while, a while, yeah. We're smiling, but we're close to tears. Even after all these years, we just now got the feeling that we're meeting for the first time. So this um, you can put under the really nice story category. We'll get back to the bank collapses and Joe Biden and Trump hammering DeSantis in Iowa yesterday and all that good stuff. Eric Adams on this show, the mayor, all of it. So you may remember, Andrew, we had that uh, wonderful dinner months ago where Frank Siller and the Tunnel to Towers Foundation honored, and deservedly so, mind you, John and Margot Katsimatidis. It was a great dinner. In fact, uh, me, you, and your dad had dinner together that night, mm-hmm. the three of us. And then we left the table, and for some reason, Dominic Carter was sitting by himself for like an hour. But that's a whole other story. So it was a wonderful night, and Silo did a great job. But I don't know if you were standing next to me. About an hour before we had dinner, the three of us, I was up on stage 
Judge Jeanine Pirro did a great job hosting that night. She's my favorite. Everybody at Fox News, she's my favorite. Her, Tucker, and Del Kilmeade. So she hosted did a great job. And at one point, you'll remember, me and Rita Cosby read the names of folks that died and then their relatives that received homes, mortgages, all that stuff. So you may remember at one point a young African-American girl running over to the table and literally grabbing me and giving me a big hug, almost in tears, and thanking me. And I had no idea who she was. No idea. And I said, wow, you're welcome. What did I do? And she said, you read my husband's name. And that's all I did. I didn't know her husband. I'm sorry to say that. He's a hero. God rest his soul. All I did was read his name. She was so happy that somebody mentioned her husband's name that she was compelled to run over to me and hug me and kiss me and thank me. Well, Frank's really an American hero. Let's he put is, it that way. I, I didn't I didn't see that moment. It sounds incredible, but I can't tell you how many moments Frank has been able to create for yeah. people like that. And I remember when they first got started, you know, for the first and at a time, this is probably a little bit uh I'll say selfish of me, but you know, I've seen so many people go after my father recently, and I think it's so important to tell people that, you know, Tunnel the Towers got their start actually being uh, given space for the first bunch of years at Giuliani Partners yeah. uh, in the early 2000s. That's right. Now, a tribute to Frank in what they have done because they have built something that really is the gold standard for philanthropy oh, in this far country. Away. But the story gets better. So it turns out that that young lady that ran over to me and gave me a hug that night, her name is Mecca Nelson. And, in fact, when we did the um, uh, Radiothon here and raised $1.2 million, I know somebody matched 600000 So you want to take that off the board? Anywhere between 600000 and one point two on an AM radio station during a Radiothon is nothing short of miraculous. And we raised that that day, and I hosted all six hours. She came in that day, Mecca Nelson. So she sends me a text yesterday, out of the blue, and she says, Sid, I want you to come to this. And I said, come to what? Well, in what is so beautiful and so deserving, on the corner of East 83rd Street and Avenue N in Brooklyn, Right by Flatbush Avenue, my area, they're going to rename the street. They're going to rename the street in honor of Sergeant Mario Nelson, Saturday, April the 8th, between 12 and 1. It becomes Sergeant Mario Nelson, Haitian warrior, right on the corner of East 83rd Street and Avenue. When there's a big dinner afterwards, post-ceremony gathering at Cache Restaurant on Flappish Avenue in Brooklyn. But how about this? Congratulations to City Council Member Mercedes Narcisse. She's part of the 46th Council District, or he is. I'm not even sure who this person is for doing this. But congratulations to my friend Mecca and her late hero husband, Sergeant Mario Nelson, renaming the street in Brooklyn for him. That's a... Uh, it's a pretty cool deal, huh? That's pretty wonderful. cool. Yeah. 
So now let's get to the uh, the news of the day, which is not nearly as inspiring <laughs> as that last story was. But, you know, listen, me and Andrew and others on this show, Lara Trump, Kimberly Gilfoyle, uh, Kellyanne Conway, a load of Trump lovers, Trump supporters, have uh, Kellyanne sent... Kellyanne sent her best to you, by the way. She says she's uh, a fan of yours. Oh, you saw her? I was with her. I had, I had dinner with her and the oh, president that's right. on Sunday. You know what's funny? And she, she, was, uh, she said, I like that city. Oh, guy. that's cool. Yeah. The day that she was out with me, <laughs> two hours later, it was announced well, in the press she was getting divorced yeah. from that animal George, her uh, ex-husband, uh, yeah. that dick. There was some conversation about that. At the I'm end, sure. I think that's... Uh, <laughs> I'm not his attorney, but uh, I feel yeah. like it's privileged. Yeah, it probably is. Yeah, <laughs> But like Donald Trump said, it's good you got away from him. Yeah. But uh, we're, we've all been on record saying that we don't think it's a great idea for Donald Trump to continue to bash Ron DeSantis. And I think we all thought at some point he would stop. Oh, silly us. He doesn't stop. In fact, he's amped it up a couple. Uh, yesterday, stumping in Iowa, he beat the living daylights out of DeSantis. But you and I both made the point this morning. He used the same strategy in 2016, mm-hmm. nicknaming Jeb Bush, Marco Rubio, you name it, and he won. There seems to be a feeling among some people that eight years later, after the loss, if you believe that's the case, in 2000, not everything he did in 2016 will work in 2024, including belittling his opponents. Mm-hmm. But like you said this morning, and I did too, that's what he does. That's what he did. He won by doing that. That's his M.O., and no one or no thing seems like is going to change that. Yeah, I think he wants to show Americans that he's not going to be the politician. He's not going to be the politically correct guy. Look, I think the best strategy for this is uh, Laura Trump's messaging, which is DeSantis has done a good job down in Florida. Let's keep him as governor of Florida for four more years while I take over the country and I write this ship and get the policies back in that we were experiencing for four years. Uh, But look, the president is clear on this and he's going to continue to double down on this. I will say it will lead for whether this is August or September, maybe even higher ratings for whenever that first Republican debate is than the debate in 2015 when he was on there. Because I cannot wait to see DeSantis and Trump. And, you know, it's interesting. DeSantis kind of punched back a little bit. Uh, on Mon- on uh, Friday in Very Iowa, when, Very when he talked about the fact that his administration was not is not focused on palace intrigue, it's not focused on this, and that's why we win every single day instead of getting distracted mm. and run over by the left. So he's starting to, without invoking him, kind of set those wedges. Well, that up. was the second one because he had said before that, even before that, he had said, "Look, uh, I don't think that uh, what he's been doing lately is all that good." He actually said that. Mm-hmm. He said, "I don't think what he's been doing lately is all that good." But, but don't confuse the issue. When he was president, his policies were great. That came even before right. what he said on Friday. So now twice he's gone after him. Mm-hmm. But compared to the way Donald does it, yeah. it's pretty lame. Yeah, I, I think he's doing it just enough to try to get the response back. Because, I mean, really, the interesting thing is DeSantis is getting mentioned now by Trump more and more and more. Nikki Haley's not because she's no, not no. a threat to him. Pence is not because Pence is not a threat to him. Same thing with Tim Scott. He's not a threat threat to him. The only one is DeSantis. And so that's why he gets mentioned. I think DeSantis wants him to keep mentioning him. Wants him to keep doing it. Oh, I think so, too. Wants him to keep doing it. I think so, too. Remember, it helps his name recognition. That's one of the places where he needs to catch up. He needs to catch up on name recognition. Now, the president knows that, and he's still going after him because he thinks the strategy is going to work again. And look, 
looking at the early polls, he may be right. We'll see. Well, the last two polls, the Fox News poll had Trump at 43 percent. And I mentioned this to um, just a couple of days ago uh, to Takapino, who gave this back to Donald Trump, who made that, uh, who wrote that very nice text about me. Forty-three twenty-eight over DeSantis in the latest Fox News poll. And then the Emerson poll, which came out just four days ago, that lead was lengthened to 40 to 13. So the last two polls, he's got leads of 15 and 27 percent. Those are big Big, big lead. So maybe he knows exactly what he's doing when he did what he did yesterday in Iowa, which was once again slam Ron DeSantis. Lewis, President Donald Trump, cut number one. Ron was a disciple of Paul Ryan, who is a rhino loser who currently is destroying Fox and would constantly vote against entitlements. He would just vote against. Remember that the wheelchair over the cliffs that Democrats used it. The wheelchair over the cliff commercial, very effective. That was about him. But Ryan, Paul Ryan's a big reason that Mitt Romney, I'm not a big fan of Mitt Romney, lost his election. And to be honest with you, Ron reminds me a lot of Mitt Romney. Oh, come on. So I don't think you're going to be doing so well here, but we're going to find out. But those are the facts. I love Donald Trump. He's got my support. A huge support. And uh, just for the sake of saying it for the billionth time, I'm voting for Donald Trump this morning. But there is nothing about Ron DeSantis that reminds me of Mitt Romney. Yeah, DeSantis is doing a great job there. I mean, he is. It's it's that simple. Uh, Look, this is a campaign strategy. That's all this is. Uh, The president moved down to Florida because uh, it's a great place to live, and that's why he moved from New York to Florida. I think there are two things. It is a great place to live, but Mm -hmm. he's had his place there for a long time and still lived here. No doubt about that. Part of the reason why he left here was— getting persecuted. Correct. The governor, the mayor. Right. So more than the weather and the beach, a nice place to live, if uh, if Governor Pataki was the governor and your father was still the mayor, you can bet your ass Donald Trump is still living on Fifth Avenue. But he's getting persecuted. He's paying a tremendous amount of taxes if he pays taxes. And he's got a beautiful house down in South Florida. The Republican governor, who he thought was his friend, maybe still is his friend, that's why he left. It wasn't the beach and the sun. Right. His freedoms, right, have been infringed upon uh, in a much more public way, the way that so many New Yorkers have. That's why I'm excited we have Vicky Palladino coming up in about 20 minutes, because she's going to talk about one of those main reasons why parents are thinking about bringing their kids down to Florida, because we want to normalize drag queen story hour here in New York. Guess what we don't normalize in the public schools? The Pledge of Allegiance. Guess what yeah. we don't? A prayer. But you know what? If you say anything about Drag Queen Story Hour, now all of a sudden you get thrown off of your committee. That's why more and more people are looking and saying, you know what? Florida might not be a oh, bad I, idea. I totally agree. Totally agree. Um, he goes on in a video campaign message that he put on Truth Social or has his uh, felonious former attorney, this piece of garbage, Michael Cohen calls Untruth Social. He went on to talk more about Ron DeSantis. And he made another point, which I couldn't disagree with more. Here it is. This is a Donald Trump video campaign message once again about Ron DeSantis. For those of you that didn't notice, Florida was doing great long before Ron DeSantis got there. People are fleeing from New York to Florida and other places because of high taxes and out-of-control crime. It's really bad. Not because of the governor. Thank you, Mr. President, for doing that. (laughs) But it's not because of the governor. Florida was doing fantastically. You had a governor named Rick Scott who did a very good job. Even Charlie Crist, a Democrat, did a good job, and he had very good numbers. 
Sunshine and ocean are very alluring. It's not too hard to work with those factors. So just remember, Florida was doing really well long before Ron DeSantis got there. And I lived there for 16 years in Boca Raton, lived there. When both Chris and Rick Scott were the governors, they were not nearly as good as their jobs as DeSantis is. By the way, uh, President Trump should know this. When Charlie Chris was governor in Florida, he was a Republican. He actually switched to a Democrat after he was governor of Florida. So he was a Republican. But those guys didn't have to deal with COVID and all the issues that Ron has had to deal with. And he has still kept Florida as the number one move destination in the country. So what he said there was inaccurate, completely unfair. I mean, look, you go back to the 70s, and there were cocaine wars in the streets of Miami, and that was a very turbulent time down in South Florida. But really, since the 80s, 90s, it's been a pretty easy place to govern. That's true. But Ron uh, DeSantis had to deal with stuff that Rick Scott and Charlie Crist couldn't dream of dealing with, in all fairness. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, look, like I said before, this is a campaign strategy for Trump. He's going to double and triple down on this, and this is going to get uglier and uglier and uglier. I will say this. I am not afraid of a hard-fought, vicious even primary, and I just look at 2016 because you know what? You are now dominating the headlines, right? They're talking about Trump. They're talking about DeSantis. And I think that's so important at a time when a lot of people are checking out about our politics, and understandably so. But the fact that they're going to be on the top of people's tongues now for the next 12 months, I think might not necessarily be the worst thing. I'd love for the content to be a little bit more different. But if the question is, and you talk about this a lot in radio, right, irrelevance or we're talking about them in some capacity. Yeah, I mean, we're going to be talking about them in some capacity. I mean, for you and I, it's great. If you're in radio, the uglier it gets, the better it gets. Mm-hmm. If it bleeds, it leads. It's not great for the country. Mm-hmm. But for you and I in this profession, we need this. We want this. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we said this for a long time. The day that Donald Trump came down the escalator seven years ago was a new era. And it works for you and I. I'm not sure it works for the country. But, of course, this ridiculous potential indictment here in New York, which is really gross, fat, stupid DA Alvin Bragg and that disgusting Attorney General Letitia James yelling and screaming and celebrating. So our dear friend Joseph Tacopina, a friend of mine for 43 years, dating back to fifth grade at Poly Prep, now has become the biggest Defense attorney in the country, no disrespect to Daniel Rosenberg or Arthur Idala, but Takapina, he the man. And uh, he had dinner with Bodita last night, then made his way to Sean Hannity and spent some time on Fox News talking about this ridiculous potential indictment here for Donald Trump. And he mentioned the word extortion when he talked about former porn star Stormy Daniels. And Tack is exactly right. This is Joe Takapina, cut number 10. President Trump has denied from day one having an affair with this woman. What he is is an extortion victim. And by the way, it's regardless of whether he did or didn't. He says he didn't. I believe him. And the evidence, I think, is very powerful that he never had an affair with her. But more importantly, he's a victim of extortion because she came out right before the campaign and said, or the election said, unless you pay me, I'm going to make a, a public story about something that he says is completely untrue. So it, it, that's something that would be done irrespective. And here's the key. It would be done irrespective of the campaign because as Michael Cohen, the convicted perjurer, liar, a guy who has zero credibility, I don't even think he had a law license, quite frankly. Honestly, what he said when he pled guilty, Sean, in this case, was that the client, his client, was doing it 
for to prevent personal embarrassment and prevent embarrassment to his family. That takes it out of the realm of exclusively campaign finance. This but is not me, a campaign finance law case at all. He also talked about disgust in the legal community with this Trump indictment, saying the legal system is being weaponized. Donald Trump did not break any laws. Okay, uh, Andrew just talked about it, making her debut on the Sid and Friends in the Morning Show. I've been told for years, Sid, get her on. She all. Vicky Palladino will join us coming up at 8.40 right after Nome with his news of the day. We'll talk to all-time Yankee great Roy White. He's got a brand new book out. Hey, Randy Levine, president of the Yankees, enough with the Paul O'Neills of the world. Put Roy White in Monument Park, 15 years solely as a New York Yankee. Roy White should be in Monument Park. Randy, I know you're listening. Get that done. We'll also play Sid's Take right here on the Tuesday edition of Sid and Friends in the Morning. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. You all appreciate it. When I was young, me and my mama had beef, 17 years old, kicked out on the streets. Though back at the time, I never thought I'd see a face. Ain't a woman alive that could take my mama's place. Suspended from school, was scared to go home. I was a fool with the big boys breaking all the rules. Shed tears with my baby sister. Over the years, we was poor and other little kids. And even though we had different dads, I know it sounds crazy for a white Jewish Sidney Ferris Rosenberg to criticize hip-hop Jania Butler, but she's crazy. Play some more of this. This is Tupac Shakur, Dear Mama. He's the best. Not in the top five, but you nuts. He's number one. Anyway, it was on this date back in 1995, 28 years ago, and this is a pretty cool one. Even Lou Rufino admitted this. Tupac Shakur became the very first male solo artist ever to have the number one album in the United States while being incarcerated. <laughs> Has there been anybody else since that's been able to do that? Is I don't think so. First and I don't only? think so. Unless Trump goes to jail because uh, his song with Miley Cyrus is kicking ass these days. I don't know. Uh, I was happy to hear Ron DeSantis agree with me and President Trump. This is an argument I'm growing tired of even having with Peter King and a host of others. DeSantis uh, came out yesterday and said, Ukraine, not a key U.S. interest. Duh. I've been saying the same thing. So so did Bernie. God rest his soul. Live from the Bernard McGurk Studios. This is insane. You know, they're not going to lose the Russians, folks. Let me explain this to you. Peter, I hope you're listening. The Ukrainians are not going to win. We can give them a billion, five billion, ten billion, F-16s, F-19s, give them helicopters up the ass like diehard. Russia's not going to lose. And Putin is more than willing to let this thing drag out and drag out and kill as many people as possible for years. And we're just going to keep writing these people checks? This guy Zelensky, who I trust as much as, quite frankly, half the hip-hop community? I'm going to trust Zelensky? And we're going to let this thing drag out. We're never going to win. They're not going to win Ukraine. We're not going to do enough for them to win. It's got to stop. Trump says it. DeSantis says it. Sid Rosenberg says it. What more do you need? Noam, how do you feel about it? Uh, 
Nobody cares. Yeah, what do they, you have to, they don't care, God, actually. Yeah, please, was, that's please. exactly what I was going to say. Sorry, Nobody you cares. that. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got today, kid looking? I uh, have, uh, by the way, let me give credit to from downtown Macedonia, Phil, alerting to me this story. That is this great story today. So if you if it sucks, you can blame Macedonia Field. It but it's great. You he, can he's got well. better radio instincts. He may be second to me in all of New really. York. Yeah, I okay. swear to God, in all right. of New York, um, in all of New York, right it doesn't seem that way. Mike but. Slater, I think something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so being short in society, Sydney and uh, Andy, can be tough, right? It's uh, sometimes hard to meet women. Um, if you're short, sometimes you don't get the great jobs. There's all these surveys out there that say if you're tall, you people see you as being more educated, likely to have a better job, higher salary, or live in a household with a higher than average income. You suffer less. But if you're short, none of that is true. Plus, I got to tell you, a lot of guys that are short, they are complete jerk-offs. They've got this Napoleonic complex. Right. They got to fight with everybody. They get all bulked up, you know, like uh, Joe Gorga. Because he's short. <laughs> you know, How wanna, short is he? They want to fight everybody. What is Who, he? Joe? Yeah. He's like 5'5", five, five, I think. Oh, he I don't know. He's, he's, I mean, I, you know, he's okay, but uh, he's been in studio. He's actually okay. But a lot of those short guys, they, they try to make up for it by fighting with everybody. Well, now they're doing much But you're more. not short. Neither is Andrew. Neither. What kind of uh, regular? I am 5'6". Five, 5'6". Six. Five, that's six. that's what, what considered short. Yeah, I guess. Andrew, what yeah. are you? 5'10". Uh, uh, really, 5'9 and 3 quarters. Yeah, I say 5'10". Can yeah. I round up? Yeah, sure. Five, ten? The, the only guy five, on this ten. show that I guess I consider short, and he does have an awful, awful disposition, is Lou. Lou Rubino. <laughs> what do you mean? You're pissed about everything. Is it because you're short? It's because I'm living in this city. <laughs> so, Lou, uh, and I guess this is good for me. There is a way out of this. That's this growing surgery that's happening across the country where you can lengthen your legs and you can add up to four to six inches in height if you do the surgery. It, though, is considered maybe the most painful surgery of all surgeries that you can do as an elective surgery, maybe in the world. $120,000, men who are like my height and shorter, are, are slapping down to get this surgery. So um, Hold on a second. So you're telling me that these short guys, right. in an effort to get more women, right. are getting this painful surgery to add four inches to their legs and not their penis? <laughs> yes. Why not add the inches right there? <laughs> well, you know, I don't know if there's a surgery to do that. Of course yet. there is. Oh, there's there is. plenty. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, a lot of it. Yeah. I've, I've heard. Right. You want to get the girls, <laughs> you want to add four inches. Just a thought. I don't know. Well, 25-year-old <laughs> Sam Becker... He is uh, f- was four, five foot four, which is short for a guy. That is short, yeah. And so he slapped down the hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Like women generally don't date guys that are shorter than them, so it's kind of tough to be a guy and approach a girl that's taller than you. It's like sometimes I would fester on not being able to find a wife or thinking that girls would just like never look at me when we were out in public. Yeah, so he went to this place in Baltimore. This is what they do to lengthen your height. I mean, it's sort of unbelievable people would go through this. The practice involves breaking both legs. Oh, come on. That's how they start. Then screws are drilled into either end of your femur or your tibia, depending on which bone was purposely snapped. 
The bone is then slowly teased apart using magnets to turn the screws, and that activates this telescopic rod between them that then lengthens. Now, by the way, you By the way, are, now I know why these people went to that uh, small town in Mexico. I mean, the poor bastards ended up dead, God rest their souls, but now I know why. It sounds like we should do that to the Uzbeki guy who ended up killing all those people on That's the West right. Side Highway. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, th- it does end up with a longer bone for some people, but in the process, it is enormously painful. Sometimes they will break your legs twice. You will go through a process where you're sitting in a wheelchair while you're waiting for this to heal, and then they go back in and they realize that tele telescopic rod has not done what it's supposed to do so they break your legs a second time oh my god all part of the surgery um but let's go back to 25 year old sam becker he had it done he's gone from five foot four to five foot seven so i started off at five four is when i got the surgery done and now i'm five seven and i'm not the tallest person in the room but in terms of like perspective, like I still definitely think about height. I just think about it a lot less. Yeah, so he says it's changed his life completely. He said it was totally mm. worth it. The pain, doing through the surgery, <laughs> having cut the bone into two pieces, the whole works. $120,000. Of course, no insurance covers this. No, of course not. No, come on. To get three inches? I mean, come on. That's the dumbest thing yeah, I think dumb. I've ever I mean, it was, heard. It, listen, it was a great story. I wish it was shorter. No. See what I did there? No, I got but it, it was. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, Sid, <laughs> yeah. this has caught on that the this one clinic in Baltimore says they are turning people away. There are thousands of people that have called them to do this operation. <laughs> I believe it. No, people are crazy, man. They're crazy. But uh, this one, I'm going to stop short here. I do go for Botox and fillers, but I'm going to stop short on this one. I'll be okay at 510. Uh, thank you for that. No. <laughs> hey, Vicky. come on in. He wants three inches, man. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Sit and Friends in the Morning. So it turns out today, ladies and gentlemen, is Pi Day. Not pie like apple pie. Pie, the mathematical P.I. It's also National Potato Chip Day, but here's the best of all. Today is Genius Day. And what's amazing, this is all, this is all, this happens to be circumstance. It's happened, you know, just, uh, um, what's what I'm looking for? Um, yeah, circumstance, I it's, guess. It's um, coincidence? Uh, no. Coincidental. Yes. Uh, on this genius day, born in 1879, Albert Einstein, born today on genius day. But this is even more coincidental. Who died on this day back in 2018, five years ago? Stephen Hawking. 
died on Genius Day. Is is that why it's Genius Day? When was it named Genius Before Day? Before Stephen Hawking. I think maybe after maybe Einstein. because of Einstein's birth. Yes, yes. That would, that so would Hawking sense. died on this day, but it brings back a uh, one of the greatest Bernard McGurk lines ever. And I've told this before, but it's worth repeating again. <laughs> it was so brilliant. So Hawking one day gets into a fight with his wife. It's like a 95-degree summer day. And his wife is like, enough of you, shut up. So he's in a wheelchair. So she takes the wheelchair. She wheels Mr. Hawking outside into the backyard in literally 95-degree heat and a blazing sunshine and leaves him there for like three hours. To which Bernard McGurk said, and I quote, now what, genius? <laughs> genius day. And Bernie was a genius, too. Anyway. I produce a lemonade. I saw this um, story in the New York Post a couple of days ago. GOP councilwoman Vicky Palladino booted from New York City Council panel after criticizing drag queen story hour. I'm on record. I'm a very liberal guy. Pro-gay marriage. Pro-gay. Pro-choice. Pro-everything. But I don't want drag queens reading to my kids. It's gross. I'm sorry. It's gross. You want to have at your party, your birthday party? Fantastic. For adults, have fun. I don't care. Margaret Joseph loves them. Not for kids. So I don't know Vicky, but over the years, I've been told time and time again, you got to bring her on. Years ago, I became friendly with uh, Joanne Ariola in uh, Queens. And I was under the impression for many years, maybe I was right, I don't know, that there was like this little war between Joanne and Vicky. So I did not invite Vicky on, despite people telling me time and time again, she's great. And the latest to tell me that time and time again is my man, Andrew Giuliani, who's sitting in studio with me today and twice a week. He goes, Sid, this, is, this lady's unbelievable. She's great. So uh, I did see this story, and I said, you got to get her on. So making her debut on Sid and Friends in the morning, a very close friend of Andrew Giuliani, and now hopefully a, a close personal friend of mine, Vicky Palladino. Vicky, good morning. Welcome to the show. Well, good morning, Sid. How are you today? I'm good. What a great, what a great introduction. My goodness, you laid it right out. That's awesome. Well, good. Uh, listen, you know me. I don't BS. I know you don't either. Yeah, that's I, don't the, be, I don't beat around the bush. Right. That, 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 that's why people <laughs> love you. So, and, and that is true. I mean, over the years, because I became friendly, I mean, my first real political event here in New York City was a big event in Queens years ago. And Eric Ulrich yes. was there. It was the day they announced Nick Langworthy as the new chair. And it was at uh, Frankie yeah. Russo's place. Russo's on the Bay. Sure. So I became sure. close with Joanne. I'm like, well, wait a second. Those two are fighting. I got to be loyal to one. So was there any truth to that? What, what is the truth behind that little? Was there a war or oh, not? You know what? what? What was was. What is is what counts. So Joanne and I, of course, are very close now, as it should be. Two Republican women. Uh, out of the borough of Queens, the only two Republican elected officials out of the borough of Queens. Joanne and I are great friends. What, like I said, the, whatever happens in the rearview mirror happened in the rearview mirror. We go forward now, and that's the way it's been uh, since we both won last November. And there you go. Well, I'm glad to hear that because uh, you want two great women. And I live in Queens now. I live in Bell Harbor, of course. So it's great to have uh, both of you folks out there. In fact, uh, her office, Ariola's office, is right there by uh, 116. Uh, Eric's office used to be not far from my house. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So here's the story. Here's the story, Vicky. GOP Councilwoman Vicky Palladino booted from New York City Council panel after criticizing Drag Queen Story Hour. Not only would I have not booted you from this panel, 
I would have given you some type of medal, some type of award. Take it from a father of two who's a very liberal social guy. Take it from a father of two. What you did here was great. So I say thank you. Oh, thanks, Sid. Uh, Look, it's standing up for common sense now. You know, the indoctrination, and call it exactly that. The indoctrination of our kids has got to stop. This is for some, that's not for the government to get involved in. This is an at-home kitchen table, you know, conversation between parents and their children. Whichever direction they go, they go. Okay, we all come from families. Everybody's mixed. You know, I'm pretty liberal myself when it comes to certain things. And uh, this whole thing of calling me repugnant uh, and hateful, uh, again. So, uh, you know, what a lot of people don't know is that, you know, there's a lot of people who sit on this council who agree with me very privately, but very, very uh, softly and quietly. Then uh, a lot of them are Democrats and they're afraid to speak up, you know, because they're afraid of this radical progressive left wing that, you know what, the progressive uh, caucus has dwindled down to, I think, from 20, over 25, down to like 13 or 14. So, you know, we are small in number, but we are loud, and we are we do push our agenda. And I don't think uh, this city council really expected people to speak up against what we know is right. The, so this is, this is retaliation, political retaliation. Councilwoman Palladino, how young are we talking about in terms of drag five queens coming to school? Five years old, Andrew. Five-year-old, kindergarten. Kindergarten, oh, with no parental uh, consent. One thing I want to say also, because I know we're going to be limited in time. Yeah. What a lot of people don't under, don't realize is that Drag Queen Story Hour, it's a national non-for-profit taking millions of do- millions of money, millions of dollars from these blue cities, okay? There's no vetting. There's no background checks. No parental consent for these programs here in New York, especially. And we have no way of knowing what the, who these performers really are. We're going to be doing uh, something in the post because I think people really, the New York Post, I think people really need to see what Drag Queen Story Hour is. And uh, because a lot of people think it's just men who dress up like, you know, women and tell, you know, polite little stories. No, it's a show. And what a show is, is adult entertainment. Yep. Okay. Yep. You want to go see a drag show? Go see a drag right. show. I don't care. Right. Okay. I should give a shit. I- Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I love her. Uh, no, yeah, I'm with you. Believe me. Uh, Joe Borelli defends her. So do I, Sid Rosenberg. So does Andrew. The good news is Vicky remains a member of the Chamber's Committee on Veterans and Committee on Technology. I would ask you this. What, what is the – what are they looking to do? I mean, uh, story hour, you could have a, a woman come in. You could have a man come in. You could have a girl come in, a boy come in. What is the advantage? What is the – what do they think is good for the kids in bringing in a quote-unquote drag queen? Oh, it's all about, uh, you know, um, being tolerant and uh, open-minded and children to be allowed to decide what gender they are. This gender confusion where there was none, you know, how do you tell a five or six and eight or nine-year-old what gender you are? Okay, why confuse this? The baseline to all of this is all about this. They transition this into love and acceptance and all of that. You know, stop. Just 
stop that false narrative. What you're trying to do, and I stand firm on this, is that you are trying to take young minds and mold them to a certain way of thinking. Now, mind you, this is a minority group of people who are actually pushing this. If this was five years ago, Sid, Andrew, would we be even discussing this? No, no, it's no. been so radicalized. Amazing how something as radical as this would now be mandatory. Mainstream. It's sick. Yeah. So, well, Sid mentioned before that Borelli defends you, and he does have a, what I would call, very milquetoast quote in the post, but I don't see anything on his social media. This is something, by the way, that happened 10 months ago that you made these comments on that's now really just getting this attention. But I haven't seen comments from him. I haven't seen comments from any of your Republican colleagues. Let me ask you, have your Republican colleagues come out to stand up for you on this? Or have they kind of left you out to dry and just kind of given some word salad out to uh, out to New Yorkers? Well, uh, Andrew, I will say this. I don't want to disparage anybody, and I certainly, you know, appreciate my caucus and my fellow Republicans. You know, we have the Commons caucus as well as, uh, you know, the five Republicans. So not to alienate anybody or say anything against anybody. That's not what I'm here to do. Uh, I wish it would have been a broader statement. They put out one as a common sense caucus. Borelli did put a snippet that John Levine did cover in the post, and I'm grateful to him for that. Uh, but do I believe that there should have been a bolder? Uh, yes, most definitely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not just by the minority leader, but my fellow Republicans. You don't want to say, you know what? Screw it, Vicky. Savor the moment. You're the hero. You're the one with the Correct. balls, even though you're a woman. <laughs> you know, you know so, what, so savor it. That's all. You know what, Sid? When this first came out, everybody said, Merry Christmas, Vicky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I said, this is not the hill I wanted to die on because let's remember I'm fighting local law 97. I'm, I, I am there yesterday. I hosted a thing in my office with uh, special counseling for uh, guidance counselors, as well as school principals that are totally perplexed by the outcry of the mental illness in our kids as young as six, seven and eight and 10 and 12 years old. So I am so hands-on. So to be, um, to be taken off this committee, Let me tell you what a committee does. Uh, A committee does nothing. And I repeat, (laughs) nothing. It is so unimportant because if we got together and spoke about what an agenda was going to be before a public hearing, and then we discussed it, and we tossed some ideas around, you know what happens when you go to those those public uh, hearings that we have? Nothing. Nothing. Given the agenda the day before, the day before, to digest what you're going to be talking about. Hmm. And then you're given the questions are already there for you, predetermined questions. I don't work like that, okay? I like to get together, talk around a table or on a Zoom call, discuss the agenda, move forward with it. We're throwing hundreds of millions of dollars at things at this particular mental illness crisis that we're in. And yet, what do we see coming out of it? A lot of talk, 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 talk. I want action, and this is the time to take action and to double back on what you said. My office has a Veterans Resource Center, which has taken off. People come from as far as way away as Staten Island, and I want to concentrate on the positive, and I will be starting my own uh, story hour here in District 19. Nice. This is why you're the most dynamic member of the city council, Vicki, and yeah. we're going to have you on the podcast this week. I can't right, wait can't to wait, dig wait. more into this. Later. 
See you later. I said thanks. Oh, of course. No, my, my pleasure. Vicky Palladino, who is a hero in this one. The one who's really repugnant in this story is uh, the speaker, Adrian Adams, who went in uh, the Gay City News, which is a paper that Phil reads every day. And she said that um, Palladino's commentary pugnant and unacceptable. <laughs> no, Adrian, baby, yours are. We'll take a short break, come back. We'll play Sid's Take next hour, brought to you by Pete Morgan and Peerless Porters. But coming up next, one of the all-time Yankee greats, Roy White, candid conversation with me and his new book, coming up next. 77 WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. Fighters, 908. Over the years, through all most of my radio days in sports, I've become friendly with a lot of guys that played ball in the past. One of those guys, former Yankee great Roy White. Roy and I have had many, many, many conversations over the years. And it turns out my beautiful wife, Danielle, who's a diehard Yankee fan since she's a little girl. Roy White is one of her favorite players. So she's excited about this, as I am. His new book, Roy White, From Compton to the Bronx. I do want to thank Murray Bauer for helping with this. A young man from Compton rises to the highest levels of baseball greatness. Roy White played on the New York Yankees from 1965 through 1979. Played alongside greats Mickey Mantle, Roger Maris, Whitey Ford, Thurman Munson, Reggie Jackson, Catfish Hunter, and many others. Today, Roy White sits among the greatest all-time Yankees in most offensive categories. Went on to play in Tokyo for a while as well. And one of their greatest, too. Right behind a guy like Satohara Oh. So uh, here he is, one of the classiest and nicest men ever to don a uniform, let alone a Yankee uniform, my friend Roy White. Good morning, Roy. How are you, buddy? Hey, good morning. Good to be back with you. It's been a while. It has. It's nice to be back with you, too. It has been a while. I knew you were writing a book and didn't want to bother you. Uh, before we get to your life, I know one of your teammates between 1965 and 1969, yeah. Joe Pepitone, right. just passed away. That'd be tough for you. Yeah, I'm really greatly saddened by that. Uh, uh, I've been in contact with Joe over the years and usually speak with him once every you know couple of months. Uh, to check on him, see how he's doing and everything. And I think uh, the last time I spoke to him was probably uh, two or three months ago. And, uh, you know, he was in good spirits, feeling great, you know, in good health and everything. Uh, you know, he had no complaints. So I was kind of shocked to hear that news yesterday. And uh, as I said, greatly sad. That was sad, yes. And, of course, Joe was uh, quite a character all-star, too, like you were, you know, during those before the great transition, the Reggie Jackson years. And, a lot of folks came out to the ballpark just to watch guys like you and Mercer and Pepitone. He had the hair dryer blowing his hair and all that stuff. And it was, it was, so, you know, there, there is one thing I want to say to you. And don't get mad, Roy, because you're such a classy, nice guy that you may get angry with me. But I got to tell you, 
when the Yankees retired Paul O'Neill's number and put him in Monument Park this summer, I love Paul. Paul won many championships in the Bronx and, to Paul's credit, never left and is still a Yankee working on the Yes Network. But the truth is, he spent a lot of years in Cincinnati. He won a World Series with Pinella in Cincinnati. You spent your whole 15-year career with the Yanks. You were a guy that people came to see, you, Mercer, when no one else was good on the Yankees. And even when they got guys like Reggie and Catfish and started winning World Series, you were still an integral part of the Yankees' success. If any Yankee belongs in Monument Park, Roy White, it's you. So if Randy Levine, the president of the Yankees, is listening right now, it is, it is a disgrace that Roy White is not Monument Park. I said my piece. <laughs> I hear that from a lot of fans, uh, Sid. So uh, uh, it's not anything that I don't I don't lose any sleep over it. So you know what's funny? Uh, you say that for me to decide. That. But, but over the years, players have said to me, "If I don't make the Hall of Fame, I don't care." And then when they made the Hall of Fame, they they were honest with me and said, "You know what? I really did." <laughs> so you really would like to be out there. But I know I know how you are. You're such a great man. You wouldn't say it. You know, Roy. One of the interesting things about your career is you were on with me two years ago during Black History Month, and you talked about how early in your career you actually had to stay, and if I'm wrong, correct me, but you had to stay in different hotels than some of the white players, that you went through some of the similar stuff Jackie Robinson went through. Is that not true early in your career? Yeah, that's true. Uh, It it wasn't as harsh as Jackie. There's no doubt about that. Uh, The stuff he went through was far greater than anything I experienced. But uh, there was still a lot of segregation in the South. And uh, if any of your listeners out there ever saw the movie The Green Book, yes. uh, that was kind of part of my life. Uh, my, in my first couple of years in the minor leagues was uh, uh, ha- having to stay in the black hotels or somebody's home uh, whenever we went into another city. So uh, uh, it really opened my eyes, you know, because I, I grew up in California and never experienced it. You know, I had heard about it and everything. And uh, until you experience it firsthand, uh, uh, you don't know how disheartening it, it was, you know, to be treated that way. And how did it change when you got to the Bronx in 1965? What was that experience like your first year with the Yankees in the Bronx? Well, 65, I, I was a, a September call-up. I was down in Columbus, Georgia. And, uh, you know, the last couple of years in the minor leagues, civil rights legislation had been passed, and I was finally able to stay in some of the hotels with my teammates, because I went two years without staying in the same hotel uh, with my teammates, you know, down in the South. So, uh, coming to the Yankees, though, that that, that was, uh, you know, one of the big moments in my life, getting that September call-up. had no idea the Yankees were going to call me up, you know. I was already making reservations to go back to Los Angeles and, uh, uh, Lauren Babe called me in the office and uh, says, to forget about your reservations to Los Angeles, Roy. Uh, Yankees just called you up. Uh, and you're going to be on a plane tomorrow, and you're going to join them in New York. And, wow. Uh, wow. You know, I just couldn't believe it. I was you know, so excited. And uh, this is actually my second trip to New York now because uh, I had been to New York in 1964 after I suffered an injury down in Columbus. Uh, uh, I ran into uh, Lee May in a collision at first base and had a fractured rim of the eye socket. You know, his elbow, when he was trying to catch the ball, it slammed right into the side of my face. Oy. And I uh, had came up in 64 to go to Lenox Hill Hospital 
but had a chance to go to Yankee Stadium and come into the clubhouse at that you know, at that time, and then watch the game, and then went to the hospital. Didn't need the operation, and later went back to Columbus. So it was actually my second time coming up at this. Mm-hmm. You know, coming at that Yankee clubhouse with Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris, Elston Howard, uh, Pepe, Pepitone was there, and uh, Whitey Ford, all those guys. Wow. And uh, said, I was watching these guys in the World Series when I was 12. <laughs> I mean, unbelievable. <laughs> How could I be here with these guys? They're still here. You know, it was amazing. But then one by one, those guys started to disappear and retire right. and go away. And, you know, it's funny. I'm a Met fan. You know that. But um, I certainly appreciate the great Yankee players. And I love you to pieces. But, um, you know, with the Mets won the World Series in 1969, it was your fifth year here in New York. Fourth year, if you consider your September call-up uh, with the Yankees right. in the Bronx. So I don't know if you guys were celebrating with the rest of New York. But how about that <laughs> summer between the Jets and the Mets and the Knicks? 1969 in New York was wild. Yeah, that was really crazy. And you know, one of the reasons I signed, you know, when I first signed with the Yankees in uh, in 1961, uh, I guess that's when I signed my contract. I didn't go out to 1962, but I said, geez, once I get up there, I'm going to be in the World Series every year. <laughs> you thought so, right? <laughs> right. 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 That waited, team. Yeah. yeah. I had to wait 11, 11 years. 11 years. Right. And that would have been. The ironic thing about that, Sid, was. Yeah. As a kid, I was a Cincinnati Reds fan. Oh, boy. You know, they had the cut-sleeve uniforms. Yeah. They could hit. They had guys like, you know, Ted Klazuski, Gus Bell, Wally Post. Later on, Frank Robinson, Vader Penson, and those guys. And lo and behold, our first World Series, we'll be playing the Cincinnati Reds, the big red machine. But that was a blessing in disguise because you didn't face the Robinson Pincer guys. You pay, you face, of course, the big red machine, and you took on guys like uh, Joe Morgan and Pete Rose and Johnny Bench. But that was a right. blessing in disguise, Roy, because you got your asses kicked so badly by Cincinnati. You got swept in that series that George Steinbrenner said afterwards, uh-uh. This ain't going to happen again. So he made a little bit of a deal after that World Series, and he brought in a guy named Reggie Jackson. And after that, things went pretty well, right, Roy? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was a big turning point for us. Uh, it was probably the last ingredient, you know, to have that big bat, uh, that big presence of his in the middle of the lineup. And and uh, it proved time and time again that he was a, a big-time player when it was a big game on the line. So that really added to our lineup. And uh, that 1976 lineup, you know, we had added uh, Willie Randolph and Mickey Rivers, and uh, that really changed our offense where we had more speed on our club and guys that could get on base. And, you know, now we had a a real big bopper in the middle of the lineup uh, that could drive in runs. So that was big for us, you know. How was so it, though? all that was said about Reggie, he did come through. No, listen, he came through big. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that game against the Dodgers in the summer of 77, three home runs off three different Dodger pitchers. Right. And, you know, you win it again in 78, and you get there in 81 again, then he's gone. But, you know, you look back at those days, Roy, and you're such a, a serene, tranquil, beautiful guy. But you couldn't say that about, I don't know, Reggie, Thurman, Billy. And uh, all we hear about, even to this day, 40-plus years later, is that turbulent Yankee clubhouse and the dugout and the fights between Steinbrenner and Martin and Reggie. Are those overstated or understated? Uh, sometimes I think it was overstated. Uh, we still had good chemistry in that clubhouse. You know, when it was time to play ball, uh, we all rooted for each other, pulled for each other in the dugout, and uh, we blended as a team. You know, we were a tough team, had some tough characters on that team. So 
on the field, uh, it was different than the stuff off the field. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I never let it bother me. A lot of things I didn't even know were going on. <laughs> you smart. Uh, yeah, you stayed I away from I was always that. focused on, you know, what can I do? I want to be in the lineup. You yeah. know, I want to help the team. And, you know, that was always my goal. Uh, you know, coming up with the Yankees was to be the best all-around player that I could be. Yeah. Because yeah, I knew I wasn't great in, in any one area. But I felt that if I could do a lot of things, such as hit and run, I could lay down a bunt, hit the sack, fly, you know, get on base. Uh, that the managers would like me. They didn't want to have me in a lineup. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, so that kind of worked out, I'd have to say. Yeah, it worked out in a big way. You were a multiple all-star. It kind of made me sad just now because when I was a kid growing up, I loved players like you. Like you said, guys that went to sacrifice themselves to bunt a guy, move him over guys that would steal a base. I mean, all those things are gone. They're gone. I, I read about a guy like Mike Trout. God bless him. Great player. Great player. One of the all-time greatest. They already have him yeah. in the top ten players of all time. Are you kidding me? He hasn't had one big at bat yet in his whole career. And all these arts <laughs> that guys like – and you're laughing because you know I'm right. All these arts that guys like you took so seriously and made baseball the fundamental, beautiful game that it was, they're basically gone, Roy. They're gone. Well, to a lot of people, uh, under today's sabermetrics, you know, I stand out with those numbers yeah, now. Yeah. They didn't have that in my time, you know, the on-base percentage and the war and all that stuff. <laughs> and now that they have that, I find out that I rank in the top ten in, you know, some of these categories with, with guys that are in the Hall of Fame. You know, awesome. That's <laughs> actually amazing. great. Yeah, <laughs> it worked out for you. I see some of this stuff. <laughs> But I used to have to write down stuff on a piece of paper during the year, like, you know, how many times I hit behind a runner, gave myself up, sacrifices to try to negotiate a contract because none of that information was available back no, then. not back then. So what was it like when uh, the early 70s when Steinbrenner bought the Yankees for basically nothing and uh, turned them into this powerhouse that it's been now for the better part of 50 years? Your first interaction with George Steinbrenner, how did that go? Well, you know, he, he came in and spoke to the team and everything when we uh, when he first took over the club. But I didn't I didn't have a lot of personal interaction with him. But you could see uh, that he was determined to have a winner, and that he had a kind of uh, his mental attitude was that of like a football coach. You know, uh, if you can get mad and tough and go out there, that was going to help you win. <laughs> you know, that was his mentality more. But uh, you could see that things were going to change. Uh, CBS had done nothing really to improve the club. They didn't put any money into the club, and that all changed when George came in. Uh, all of a sudden, we started, you know, getting some players, adding players to the club, like Greg Nettles, Chris Chambliss. You know, Gabe Paul came in as a general manager, made some great deals, and everything changed. So, you know, a lot of the credit has to go to George. Yep. Uh, even with all his idiosyncrasies, you know, <laughs> he's kind of like a Jekyll and Hyde character. You know, one day he could be pat you on the back and say you're great. The next day you might not even talk to you. Well, listen, I got news for you, Roy. A, a lot of great leaders uh, actually work that way. I'm being honest. They, you know, there's a lot of crazy that goes into a great leader. You know that. So I'm not no surprised. Doubt. Yeah, no he, he was that. But I tell you, with all the great stuff you went through, Roy, and the all-star years as a younger player, then making the smooth transition to the teams that won the World Series in 77 and 78 and got back in 81. Every Yankee I talked to, and I'm very close, as you know, with Bucky Dent, very, very close. And the day that Thurman died is still the day that Yankees on those teams remember the most. In fact, 
Bucky was telling me that a lot of folks thought Bobby Mercer was on that plane, too, when he was killed, which, of course, he wasn't, thank God. But the day that Thurman died, you know, Roy, that was the first time in my life I was 12 years old. I was in a bungalow colony in upstate New York, and I was born after Kennedy got assassinated. That was the first time I saw grown men cry the day that Thurman died. Yeah, it was this, uh, oh, man, that, that was one of the toughest days I ever went through in my life. Uh, uh, I sat next to Thurman in the clubhouse, you know, for the, the 10 years that he was there. You know, so uh, Thurman was like the first guy every day that I saw uh, when I went to the ballpark. Uh, we sat together on a lot of uh, plane flights, uh, and he talked about his life, what he was going to do after baseball and everything. I, I watched him when he studied the manual to become a pilot. So uh, it really affected me greatly, you know, being one of the, the closest guys to him on the club. And uh, that's a day I'll never forget, you know, and it, it was really tough because hmm. uh, I've never lost anybody, you know, that close to me like that, you know, yeah. in my life. And here was a guy that I you know, saw every day and all of a sudden he was gone. So uh, it was really a tragic thing, really tragic. Yeah, it really was. Um, where do you put Aaron Judge Coming off that record season last year, 62 home runs. He won past Roger Maris, winning a deserved MVP, getting, uh, you know, like $80 billion every guy. Uh, where, do you put, <laughs> where do you put Aaron Judge now? Do you consider him one of the all-time greatest Yankees or, or not yet? Not there. Well, I think you'd have to consider that he, that he is right now off of that season. You know, uh, just as Roger Maris really had a short time with the Yankees, you know, had the great, uh, you know, 61 home runs. And uh, I think the next year he hit 39 or, or 40. And and after that, he never approached those numbers again. But, you know, he's yeah. in Yankee history as one of the greatest, you know, players that put on the Yankee uniform. Uh, you still got to have the test of time. You know, you got to be able to, to maintain that and, and do some of those things again. But I certainly think that, uh, that he's capable of doing that. Uh, uh, I like the way he swung the bat last year. Uh, that was the best I've seen him. You know, he was more relaxed and comfortable at the plate. You know, not swinging at the bad pitches out of the strike zone. He stayed within himself. So uh, I don't, I don't see why he shouldn't be able to to maintain what he did. The book uh, comes out the second week of April. Roy White from Compton to the Bronx, and I mean what I said with Andy Levine. There is no excuse, <laughs> my friend Roy. And I'm telling you right now, when it happens, I'm going to be there, Roy, and I'm going to be the guy that actually stands in front of your monument and says, "That's it's finally done, thank God. Uh, for people that uh, are going to go buy this book, again, that magical career, early days with Maris and Mantle and Ford to the days right. of Reggie and all those great teams, and still a fervent New York Yankee fan now, Roy, I haven't played a Yankee game in over 35 years, still loving this organization. What do you want people to take away from Roy White as a New York Yankee? <laughs> Well, yeah, I think for uh, for young people, especially any kids uh, that read the book or, you know, they're into sports, uh, I just wanted them to see uh, what I had to go through to get to the top, that if you have a lot of determination uh, and you practice hard and you work at it and you have a dream and you believe in it, you know, that it's possible uh, to get up to the, to the big leagues and achieve that. And, and my book is about me and baseball, you know, and it's, and it's a legacy for my grandchildren. I said, well, you know, I'm not looking to make big money from any book. I just wanted to have my legacy out there where my, my grandkids can look at this and see what their grandpa did. So uh, I'm happy about that. Uh, uh, I think it was a very interesting book as far as that a lot of things happened to me. 
uh, as I said, I have the Japan segment where I played there, baseball there for three years, and a lot of interesting things happened. It was not a tell-all. It's all been said, you know, about the yeah. Yankees and the yeah. Bronx and all that. Yeah. So it's just my personal things, and I, and I think it's an interesting book that uh, that people have enjoyment out of. You know, that is kind of a pure baseball book, yeah. and uh, they'll find out in there that. Uh, the only reason I became a Yankee is because the scout signed me without asking the Yankees. <laughs> oh, that, that's great. I, I love that. I love that. <laughs> By the way, my wife just right. ran the marathon in uh, Tokyo. She was there last week, and no, no, um, she loved it. She thought Japan was beautiful. It was clean. The food was great. The people were very respectful. Right. She said uh, New York could only aspire to be uh, Japan, uh, Tokyo. But, uh, <laughs> but you had uh, three great years there, and now you're being compared to guys like Sadahara O oh, even there in, the, in, that, uh, in that Asian country. But uh, listen, Roy, I've loved you for years. Okay. Uh, again, congratulations on the book and uh, continued uh, success. And keep coming back, Roy White. You're an absolute treasure. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be with you, Sid. You got it, pal. There he is, one of the all-time greats, Roy White. That's a good man right there. He's a good ball player. Love guys like him. Bunt, steal a base, sacrifice, fly. I love So White. unselfish. I oh, God. That era is gone. Yeah, that was a great gone. team. Yeah, you talk about all these great hitters today. Let it face a guy like Bob Gibson. See how that goes. Or Seaver in his prime. Oh. Or Marichal. Or give me a break. Jacob DeGrom. Or Gidry. Or Yeah, good luck with that. Take a short break. More right after this. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. This happened once before. I came to your door. No reply. They said it wasn't you. I saw you peep through your window. I saw the light. I have to read this. Are you a true fan of WABC Radio? Then join our exclusive 77 WABC VIP club by downloading the 77 WABC app, and you'll have a chance to win this week's prize. An unforgettable tour of our studios, very exciting. And newsroom, get to meet the great Noam Layden. Get an inside look at how our talented team of broadcasters and journalists deliver the news to millions of listeners every day. From the state-of-the-art equipment to on-air banter, You'll witness it all. Sign up for 77 WABC's VIP Club by downloading the app 
or by going to wabcradio.com slash VIP, and you'll also receive a special members-only newsletter and be automatically entered for a chance to win each week's 77 WABC VIP prize. So what are you waiting for? Sign up today for your chance to win. And we just had this guy in on Friday, Tracy Neoporent, I guess is how you say his name, and he came in and talked sports for 10 minutes. You know what turns out? His brother, Drew, is like this culinary genius. Everybody knows who he is. I guess he's a big restaurant guy in New York, and don't know if he owns him oh, he or sound, if he's a cook. Sounds familiar now, his name. He does? Drew, Neop- Drew Neoporent. Uh, like my phone started blowing up. Mike Sullivan, other people. Hey, that's uh, he must be related to Drew. It turns out he is. He's Drew's brother. And Drew, I guess, is a he's a food legend okay. here in New York. Again, I don't know what he owns or what he does, but that's this guy's brother. And Tracy, what do you do for a living? I forgot. Do you remember? Uh, oh, he did. Was it something in food, too? What did he do? I don't remember. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm He's sorry. He's a really nice guy. He was yeah. a good guy, too. Kono checks in. Kono, of course, is the best buddy of the King of Williamsburg, my dear friend Joseph Nunziata. And he says, a great interview with Roy White. He's a uh, long-time, long-time New York Yankee fan. When does the season start already, by the way? Let's go. I'm ready for baseball. Let's go. I'm tired of the, the rain, the cold. I don't want to talk football. I don't care who the Giants signed the linebacker. I just want to see some baseball. I just want to smell the grass, see the sunshine for more than one day. Give me three consecutive days of sunshine, please. I just want to walk out the park if the Pete Alonzo hit a 450-foot home run to end the game, or in your case, Aaron Judge. Thank you. Play this. Yes. That's what I want. My son asked me at the uh, Ranger game last week. He said, Daddy, how do you become the organ player at Madison Square Garden? <laughs> he was there for the Knicks on Wednesday, Rangers on Thursday. And I'm like, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, don't, I would imagine you have to know somebody, right? Well, <laughs> well, first, you have to be born about 70 years ago. Yeah. And that's yeah. what they had, Susan, sitting in these They're places. not very young, the, uh, the organ players? Well, I, I'm trying to remember. The there was a lady one time, but she received a lot of... Um, a lot of pub. I remember Yankee Stadiums was Eddie Layton. Eddie Layton. Yes, they said Eddie Layton. lit him up right there. I yes. mean, they basically yeah. get him going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, so, I like Yankee Stadium. And what's his name? Did the um, he did the Giants too? Oh, uh, Sh- Shepard. Uh, Sh- Bob Shepard. Yeah, I miss him. He was great. I don't he, know who does it now for the Yankees and the Je- and the Giants, but there was nobody like Bob Shepard. You know, he taught. Awesome. He, I think he taught classes at NYU. Believe it or not. Oh, uh, is that right? Yeah, he taught um, speech, I think, yeah. and he taught Eng- uh, English or something. He was a very smart Unbelievable, guy. Unbelievable, yeah. A beautiful voice. He Bo was... Deedle says, uh, Drew is partners at Nobu. So there you have it. Boy. Now, it's time for Sid's Take. Sid's Take! Sid's Take, yeah! Good luck! It's Sid's Take, sponsored by Peerless Boilers and Pavilion Tankless Water Heaters on 77 WABC. All right. 9.45 on your Tuesday morning. I think I got that right. Hump day tomorrow. We're looking forward to that. The game, sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com. Find a deal and near you. They are America's best built boilers. Two for Tuesday. Andrew Giuliani is our contestant for today. 
Andrew, we got to uh, give you two songs. You name an artist for me that you best believe might have uh, been responsible for the inception of these great tunes. Well, they called me the music band, so I'm ready to go. Here we go. Nobody calls me that. <laughs> No. Number one, your two songs, It's My Life and You Give Love a uh, Bad Name. Bon Jovi. There we go. Spectacular. It's My Life always reminds me of the 2000 NFC Championship game. 2001, when the Giants beat the Minnesota Vikings 41 to nothing. That song had just come out, mm-hmm. and I feel like they played it. I went to that game. They played it on like a loop in there. Yeah. Maybe they didn't, but I just remember that song. Well, it reminds me of uh, Bar Mitzvah season. That's what it reminded me of. Okay. Well, there you go. It's the same Shabbat Shalom. Yeah. Uh, Bar Mitzvahs, they would just play it on a loop. There you go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's my life. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Is that it? Okay. Yeah, that, that was it. You nailed it. Nailed it. I don't know what the hell I'm saying. On to number two, one for one. Drop it like it's hot and gin and juice. Uh, can't stand this guy. Snoop Doggy Dog. There you go. Two for two. On to number three. Sarah Smile and Man Eater. Oh, my goodness. I've listened to both songs. This is how bad I am. At this game, uh... Hey now. Smith and Walensky. Oh! I'm going to get it one time. I know they've had some great stuff. Well, you nailed it with the end. Hall and Oates. Though. Hall and Oates. Would be the correct yes. Hall answer. You do Oates. often play some of Smith and Walensky's greatest hits yeah. here. Yeah, I do. Yes. I'm going to keep on guessing it, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to come. Mm, it's like C. As soon as somebody too. writes a steak song, you're in. There you go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's it. On to number four. Two for three. Don't speak and just a girl. Oh my goodness! Uh, no doubt. Wow! I think he knows. There we go. No doubt. Phil, I am requesting Uh-oh. you throw in a child song in here at some point because that's—I feel like that's the only way I can beat Sid at this game because I've been hearing fifteen-month-old songs like Baby Shark or Baby something Shark, like yeah. that. So maybe you know, for the next game, you want to rig the game my way. I Although it is some... not called Andrew and Friends. You can think I... that over, Phil, while you twirl your mustache. Like yeah. a creep. Yes. <laughs> Call me a creep? No. I'm a you have creep. A, you have one hair way. sticking up right now. You look like a doofus. By the way, I look Brian, like Alfalfa. You know who's walking around the halls right now? <laughs> Brian Cranston's walking around the halls right Well, he's not now. walking around anymore. He's now he's with John he's doing an interview with John Hamburg. Spectacular. Yeah. How about I, ran, that? I was like, who is this guy? And bam, it was Walter White right there. Sure. Heisenberg. Yeah. You never know who you're going to run into. Shh. WABC there, Studios. Yeah. He, brought, he brought pop chips, tequila, and uh, crystal meth for everybody. He's, he's, oh, cooking, wow. right, he's cooking right That's now good. with Joan. There you go. That's great. Imagine Joan cooking crystal meth. Tell you the recipes right here. Here's the recipe. All right, here's how you make it blue. He's three for four on to number five. More sugar in, I think. I think. On to number five. In an attempt to go four for five. Message in a bottle and what is this, Phil? <laughs> Say it. D do 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 D da da da. It's exactly Message how Phil bottle. planned it. Uh, exactly what he thought was going to happen. Da da da. Oh my God. Sting. Well, what well, is Sting? Who's Sting? Lead up. Oh, come on. I'm not that good at this game. Uh, the band of Sting. I mean, oh. you're, <laughs> I mean, you're wearing, wearing an NYPD wearing hat. You're wearing the hat. Oh. Oh, no, no, no. No, he still I, doesn't I still have don't it. know. I still don't know. I still don't know. know. The police, the police. Oh, the police. oh there it is. Give it to him. Give it to oh, him. Man. Give it too to late. him. Give it to him. Give it to him. Oh, too late, the police. He said the Sting Band. It and then he said the Sting Band. No, the Band of Sting. Isn't that what, that's what, what they're known for. Give it to him. I would I'm downtown. I would actually give it to him if if it wasn't a if it wasn't a good score, but you went three for five. Give it to him from downtown. It's a fine score. Smith and Walensky. No, he had the hat on. He got it. He didn't get it. It's a fine score. Three for five. 
That's it. You believe Paul O'Neill deserves to be in Monument Park, right? We play the tape exactly what I said. Okay. So when you combine his championships and the fact that he also stayed in New York and works for Yes, we want to tape exactly what I said. Yeah, I just want to but be clear. But he spent years in Cincinnati. He's not an all-time Yankee. Oh. Roy White spent his whole 15-year career in the Bronx. You can't appreciate what he meant to the Yankees in 1975. You weren't even born. Right. So, therefore, for you to make the comparison makes no sense because, you know, one guy's, I know both. Both belong in the monument, but Roy White especially because he spent his whole Roy career Roy White's a gentleman, too. I've gotten to know him also. Great guy. Yeah. Uh, Paul O'Neill, though, was even more integral to a more important time of the Yankees. Paul O'Neill played on a much better team in a different era. Better much third, different era. Four All-Stars. He, was, he had 19 guys on that team that were All-Stars. It's true. It's yeah. true. But, but he was a great player. Paul O'Neill's amazing. And I love him. He's a great guy. I didn't say he shouldn't be in the monument park. Yeah. All I said was he's the last guy to get in. And Roy White is still not in. I'm not okay with that. Okay. Fair enough. But right. as long as Paul's in. Uh, it stays in. Paul stays in? Yeah, Paul stays in. Good. Okay. Then I'm in. Glad we... Uh, <laughs> Paul's my guy. Glad we settled that. You ready to talk about some music? I'm ready. All right. Two for Tuesday. <laughs> I'll give you two songs. You will tell me the artist. It's My Life and You Give Love a Bad Name. Bon Jovi. How about it? The band started 40 years ago today. One for one. Under number two. Drop It Like It's Hot and Gin and Juice. Drop it like it's I, gin and juice. I think is Snoop Dogg. Huh? No. Oh. <laughs> is that, is that your answer? No. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I think it's Snoop Dogg. So you look over. I just remember the, the the video for that one. I think had girls coming out of the trunk, mm. one by one in bikinis, like hot chicks, gin and juice. Wow. How did he fit so many girls in the trunk? What, what, they kept coming out of his a trunk of a car. car. What a mm. terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. By the way, he is a, he a horrible person. Yeah. Terrible. What are you going to do? And he, makes, he does more and more commercials and makes more and more money. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And he, and he ruined Martha Stewart. Yes, yes he did. God. Two for two under <laughs> number three. There's no God. We know Sarah that. Smile and Man Eater. Oh, Hall and Oates. There we go. Three for three. For the win. Don't Speak and Just a Girl. Don't Speak is, uh, yeah, uh, she's married to uh, the lead singer of Bush. Um, and she also sang No Doubt. Uh... Uh, quiet, not, uh, uh, quiet. She was on The Voice. Um, Don't say wife. It. Uh, you already said it. Gwen you Stefani. Shut up. You said it. Shut up. Or you did it. Wrong. Yeah. Incorrect. Why is that wrong? If we didn't give Andrew the fifth one, how are we going to... He said Gwen Stefani. That's not correct. Oh, that's true. Not because he actually no, it said it. was no it. doubt. It was no doubt. Yeah, but doubt. she was the lead singer, no doubt, stupid. But it's by no doubt. You didn't say no doubt. You said Gwen Stefani. No, I said no doubt. You don't give it to him. You said I don't care. Go ahead. Let's go. <laughs> All right, on to number Put five. Put her on the um, Monument Park, too. <laughs> I don't yeah. Care. Is everybody getting the Monument Park? For today's win. It's <laughs> <laughs> 10 o'clock. This you should get. Message in a bottle. And... Do 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 the police. What was the second song? Did you try to say the do 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 the da da da? Yes, but he felt like you can't do that to me. That kind of does sound like you literally just did. The da da da. That's one in the movie Last American Virgin. The fat guy is trying to cut off the fat girl's bra, and actually we just throw a pair of scissors. You remember that Last American Virgin? No, I was watching. You're watching Roy White. No, I was watching. That was actually your puppy post. Watching Paul O'Neill's number. We're going to uh, take a short break, come back, and wrap things up on a Tuesday right here on Sid and Friends in the Morning. It's Sid's Take, sponsored by Fearless Boilers and Pavilion Tankless Water Heaters on 77 WABC. Entertaining and informative. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Take this pink ribbon off my eyes. I'm exposed 
This is no doubt. There you go. Gwen Stefani, the elite singer of uh, No Doubt. And No Doubt was a great show today. All the uh, guests did a terrific job. Bo Deedle, uh, Vicky Palladino, Roy White were all tremendous. And I guess the I guess the big political story today, the big was uh, Trump, Trump in Iowa. Once again, going after Ron DeSantis. And um, I mean, he did some other things. He did talk about some progress in Congress. And he talked about great unity in Congress. Going after Mitch McConnell. So we played all of that. We played all the Michael Cohen stuff. You go from one loser, low-life, felonious attorney, Michael Cohen, to Joseph Takapina, who's probably the best attorney on the planet today. What a great... And I mean a great appearance with Sean Hannity last night. So that is the uh, two sides of the spectrum. And now Joe Biden, who is talking about drilling from our ocean out there in Alaska. What took you so long? Uh, As well as still blaming the banking issue the last couple of days on the Trump administration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then taking credit, of course, for fixing the banking issue. So I I don't know. I just every day Joe Biden finds a way to um, impress me. Maybe that's the wrong word. I don't know. Anyway, it was fun today. Andrew, great job as always. Lewis, great job. Macedonia, Phil, terrific job. Justin Ellick, great job. Noam Layton, great job. Tomorrow's a Wednesday, so we know Congressman Peter King will be here. Outside of that, I don't know the rest of the guest list, but it'll be great. Because that's what we do every day on New York's number one talk show. Sid and friends in the morning right here on Talk Radio 77 WABC. From all of us to all of you until 6 a.m. on a Wednesday morning in New York. Peace! If you had an accident, trust Gabo Law, personal injury and medical malpractice attorneys with decades of experience who will provide the attention you deserve and deliver the best possible results in the shortest amount of time. Gabo Law has recovered millions for their clients, and they will be able to help you. But don't take our word for it. Read their five-star reviews from former clients on Google, Avvo, and Facebook. Call Gabo Law today, 800-560-0214 for a free consultation or email them at info at gabolaw.com. That's G-A-B-O-Law.com. Gabo Law, where winning is no accident.